growing up evangelical, right? You've got pre, post, and a millennial. So, oh know, yeah, going into going into the nuances and and debating where you stand on that and and who's who's right and who's wrong and and all of those types of conversations were always fun in quotation marks, right? Um, <laughs> and it's so funny because it's like it's friendships. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With talking fun. about that stuff, like having hour-long conversations, whether you're like pre-trib, post-trib, ah, uh, millennial, pre-millennial, post-millennial, and yeah. you get into it, and then you're like, you realize that you were just playing Dungeons and Dragons, basically. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you were you spent hours having conversations about something that doesn't exist. <laughs> oh, that is so <laughs> funny. With your entire personality. <laughs> yeah, the core of your being, right? Like you yeah. are 100%... Um, raptured <laughs> up in this topic just like roll your 42 sided die and like oh behold the pale horse <laughs> the four horsemen of the apocalypse uh, are yeah. upon us um, everybody welcome to another episode of growing up christian i'm sam i'm casey i'm jeremiah and i want to ask you guys how you feel about self-care and if that's something that you you put a lot of focus on in your lives self-care like i use moisturizer every once in a while sure. or like self-care I mean, like i'm insufferable to be around and i don't get anything done because i'm having a me weekend yeah well only <laughs> you can <laughs> that well, with moisturizer on top <laughs> oh my god well, only you can decide what self-care means to you uh and yeah okay. it could be just the uh stroking of your uh narcissistic personality disorder uh, but it could just be, you know, taking uh, a shower because it's been a week. You know, it's really in the eye of the beholder. Okay. It's a term that's best used for getting out of things that you said you would do. Yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> that's when people that's when people bust out the term self-care is when they're like, I told you I would go to dinner, but I, I you know, I'm having a rough week. I need some self-care. I need so to drink a I'm going to watch wine. Netflix. And snort a Xanax. <laughs> I'm going to eat pizza rolls like halfways cooked because I can't wait that long and they're going to be cold and chewy in the middle. Yeah. And I mean, and you'd rather a frosty center than them just burning the taste buds off your tongue anyway. But how is that self care? Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> you got to I... make that face where you go, <laughs> yeah. You go... <laughs> Listeners, be glad that you don't have to see what's going on right now. It's not pretty. <laughs> it's like the violent inhale to keep that pizza roll floating in suspense. Just keep it in suspension in your mouth so it doesn't touch any surfaces. <laughs> it's like a it's like a soccer player or like that Tiger Woods commercial where he bounces the the golf ball on the club. You know, like, right after potato. he crashes his car uh, into a local strip club. Is that, I can't remember what the commercial was. What, what a turbulent life that guy has. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, is there anyone <laughs> in the sport of golf that lives harder uh, than Tiger Woods? I mean, yeah, it's, golf, not, it's not really a sport that attracts a lot of hard living dudes. Yeah. Well, what is it? Like John Daly. That's like type. the, yeah. John Daly's like the big fat 
like John Madden looking dude that with the Hawaiian shirts and... that became a meme. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, so he's kind of interesting, but like how many others are there or how everyone else is just wearing neutral colored, like uh Lululemon slacks and golf shirts. Like that's, it looks like the pretty much the rest sport. of the sport. Dude. Hawaiian shirts are self care. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's when you've achieved like a uh that's a high level self-care where you're like i care about you know i'm worried first and foremost about me and what i need and what i need right now is for my gut not to be restricted by a tucked in shirt or a fitted (laughs) t-shirt i'm wearing a hawaiian shirt yeah it's just the total sam yeah yeah Oh, no, I was yeah. gonna say, it, it, where's this going with the self care okay. thing? Because I feel like I don't want to commit to too much until I know what you mean by self care. <laughs> well, I just wanted to uh, share a story with you guys about uh, last weekend. Uh, my son, who's five, he it was Saturday morning. It was about seven thirty. He came into my room, or maybe he came in my room that night. But he woke up around seven thirty, and he's like, he he's like, can I take a bath? I was like. All right, yeah. If that, that's what you, that's what you want to do first thing in the morning on a Saturday. We'll get up, we'll take a bath. So, get him all ready, get the water filled, and he gets in the tub and he's like, "Could I have could I have candles?" I was like, "Candles? What?" He's like, "Yeah." I was like, "You want candles while you take a bath?" He's like, "Yeah." I, yeah. So, I find like three candles around. Uh, and they come with a set. And I think that I thought there was only three to the set. So I put them in the bathroom, one on the counter, one on the back of the toilet, one on the windowsill. I light them all. He's like, where's the other one? And I was like, I don't, what do you, I, there's only three in the set. He goes, no, there's four. I was like, well, I don't know where it is. He's like, I want four candles. I was like, you get three. You're lucky you have candles, dude. I just lit candles for you at seven thirty in the morning. So you can take a bath and you're five. So you're lucky you have candles. So I start walking. I go out. He, then he yells for me. I hear him yelling, dad. So I come back in. I was like, what's up? He goes, you forgot to turn the lights off and close the shade. I was like, oh my God, this kid. He stayed in there for probably 45 minutes, just chilling in the tub with his candles going and the lights off. He looked like he knew how to live his best life. And I'm still struggling to figure out how to do that. So I have a lot of respect for him and his ability to advocate. He's like really well-being. Yeah. He's really channeling his like wine mom energy. Like when he laid back in the tub, was he like, what a week? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, let me tell you, let me tell you about my friend from school, this kid too much. Oh my God. And he just went on, he went on and on, dished about all the drama in his uh, kindergarten class. Where do you think he saw that? I, Cause he's, he saw that somewhere and he's like, mm, yep, that's me. I don't know. I don't know if it was like something that my wife had mentioned. Um, like not, we don't take baths. We don't have, well, we don't have like a nice kind of tub that you take. Well, you have a nice tub that you'd take a bath in and you filled it with plants like a weirdo. <laughs> so, but we don't have, it. we just have like the shitty tubs that, uh, you know, the kind that you eventually remodel when you have more money later in life. So, we but so he doesn't see it from us he doesn't like walk in and see us like chilling taking baths with candles and so i don't know i don't really know He's where it came from. how much media can he be consuming like where could else could he be getting that from i don't know i loved it though i was just like i kept going in i was like are you good he's like yeah he's like hey look at my toes they're super wrinkly i'm like that's cool man it's like <laughs> now was he like chill the rest of the day like did you see positive benefits uh 
he's pretty chill anyway. He, my kids are okay. so easygoing, but I don't know. I loved it. I thought it was the cutest thing ever, and I thought it was also hilarious that that's how he wanted to spend his Saturday morning. So good for him. Adorable. Yeah. But uh, on to the topic of tonight. We don't have a ton of time to cover it, so we got to get into it as fast as possible. Casey, your boy got indicted. Uh, and I know you have a lot of feelings about that. So I figured Free uh, us G. three uh, uneducated on the law and the rules of indictment. Is that a, that's how you call it, right? The rules of indictment. Uh, I, I mean, the rules of engagement is a thing. I've never heard of no, rules of indictment. It's also it's a thing. A thing. Okay. So we'll, okay. All right, it's sure. like bird law. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so <laughs> I don't know. Uncle Donnie. He's, Dude, everybody's out to get him. Where is he staying right now? Uh, is he under just well, like not in Florida? Starts? DeSantis, uh, or sorry, Meatball Ron invited him down to Florida, and because uh, he said Florida doesn't extradite, which would be really entertaining to watch because they hate each other. But I'm pretty sure Trump was just staying in New York during that time. Wouldn't it be great if like he invited him down there, but in order to keep him from being extradited, like he had to share a bedroom with with uh, DeSantis? <laughs> Or <laughs> DeSantis locked him up. He's like, I'll let you out after the election. Yeah. <laughs> he uh he just waits till he gets to the border and he pushes him over it and the cops arrest him anyway. <laughs> I, oh, that would be entertaining. Yeah. So I mean I don't I'm 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 imagining someone is uh pretend wealthy and white as Trump doesn't spend any he's not gonna spend a night in jail or anything like that. Yeah, probably not. Uh, want me to explain really quick what's going on, just in case anyone doesn't know? Yeah, yeah just in case there's one person out there who doesn't know. Well, the, the details of exactly what he's theoretically being charged with, because I think the indictment's still sealed as of when we're recording this. Um, so the actual details like might be more complicated. I think everybody knows supposedly Trump uh, paid hush money payments to Stormy Daniels, a porn star he supposedly cheated on his wife with. Right, which isn't... So, in and of itself, necessarily a crime. So it's more about the nuances around that, correct? Correct. Yes. So yeah. luckily, um, that's not a crime, or else we wouldn't have uh, would politicians. Would yeah. we ever find a, a president? That's fair. <laughs> so supposedly, what happened um, is Stormy Daniels' representatives contacted the National Enquirer to offer exclusive rights to her story shortly before the 2016 election. Uh, so. Um, David Pecker, the tabloids publisher and longtime ally of Mr. Trump, had agreed to look out for potentially damaging stories about him during the 2016 campaign and uh, at one point even agreed to buy the story of another woman's affair with Trump and never publish it, which they call a catch and kill. I'm referencing some stuff from The New York Times for this. Good looking out, Pecker. Exactly. So Mr. Pecker didn't purchase her story. Instead, he and the tabloids editor Dylan Howard uh, connected her with Michael Cohen. not Trump's lawyer at the time. That part's important. Just Trump's fixer guy. And Michael Cohen was a lawyer. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's been disbarred. But at the time, he was not serving as <laughs> Trump's lawyer. So uh, they negotiated hush money for this story because this was shortly before the 2016 election. I guess at the time, they thought that like there was anything that would make people not vote for Trump potentially. And this was a bad thing. Yeah. Like this, this was is after before the he Access Hollywood. Could, it was right, before this he is after the Access Hollywood on uh yeah. main street sorry we just kept cutting each other off right there it's all right i think there's a the, i think your internet sucks tonight sorry hmm. or at least i see casey fine but you you keep like freezing up for a couple seconds okay uh 
So Mr. Cohen paid Stormy Daniels representatives $130,000 and then uh, Trump reimbursed him once he was in the right house or reimbursed him. So in 2018, Michael Cohen pled guilty to a bunch of charges, including federal campaign finance crimes involving the hush money. Uh, the federal prosecutors concluded that that amounted to an improper donation to Mr. Trump's campaign because it was to purchase something that directly benefited the campaign. Okay. Okay. Yep. So uh, when he was pleading guilty, Michael Cohen pointed the finger at Trump uh, and said Trump directed him to pay off Stormy Daniels, a contention that prosecutors later corroborated. So uh, that also raised questions about Trump's monthly reimbursement checks to Mr. Cohen, because they're like, what else are these for? Yeah. Uh, so in court papers, they said that Trump's company or his campaign falsely accounted for the monthly payments as legal expenses, and they cited a retainer agreement with Mr. Cohen. So Michael Cohen was a lawyer. And he became Trump's attorney after he took office. There was not a retainer agreement and the reimbursements could not have been for legal services because Michael Cohen wasn't officially rendering legal services. So uh, falsifying business records like that uh, is a crime, but that's a misdemeanor. So to elevate it to a felony charge, uh, they're going to have to demonstrate that Trump's intent to defraud included an intent to compel, commit or conceal a second crime. Yeah, so, it's like federal racketeering okay. charge is what Basically, they're yeah, it's a violation of election law. A uh, hush money is not inherently illegal. The prosecutors will probably argue that the payout became an improper donation to the campaign because it benefited the campaign, which I think when you the first time you read it, you're like improper donation to a campaign. That seems a little thin because it didn't go to the campaign. But then you think about it a little bit like, OK, I get what you're saying. Like it's you're buying services for the campaign. The services just happens to be killing the damaging story. What's the difference between that and spending money on an ad? Like they're kind of trying to accomplish the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, and it sounds like there was thirty-four. I saw something that was like thirty-four other charges in the diet on. And yeah, we I, don't. I don't know if we know exactly how many there are, but there's a bunch. Like it's yeah. it's definitely. It can't just be this misdemeanor and one felony. It's got to be a bunch of other things. Which of course you. That's a pretty common thing to do is to try to see how many things you can stack on there so that you can try to get a conviction on one of them, even if you can't get a conviction on the main one that you want. Yeah. This this whole thing is like a, a a shoddily constructed legal Rube Goldberg machine. A little bit, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it feels just like I don't know. It's I I feel like kind of teetering between uh, a couple different viewpoints on it, but I think it's frustrating to even bother thinking about. It's like it's gonna now. This is gonna occupy all news stories entirely for a while. Uh, it's going to just be what what there is to talk about and we've already seen like i don't know we just president or not like we just see like these wealthy businessmen they they operate with impunity essentially no other no one else would get um or they would rarely get slapped with a charge like this and if they do they go they just shrug it off and it's fine because they don't they, these don't necessarily carry jail time and based on what this sounds like there's nothing severe enough that would ever, I mean, it's rare that anyone in a suit sees the inside of a jail cell anyway. Uh, so in a situation like this, it's like Michael Cohen did. Yeah. He yeah, it's true. Sure did. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know. You're just like, what are we doing? Like, I get it. You want to hold people accountable. Uh, and that's what I feel like one side is. It's Some like, people. You want to hold people accountable and you want to say, look, this is like the law applies equally, but we want to only say that in situations that are more like this because 
no one's making these arguments on a daily basis uh, for all the other white collar crimes out there. It's just because of who this guy is. Uh, right. And, and I think fine. the argument of it's because of who he is, is valid. Like somebody it, who, yes. if, if, if some guy did this just to get a higher board seat at a company, like, you know, you would disapprove of him doing it, but you wouldn't really care beyond that. But if somebody theoretically used this to like swindle their way into the presidency, we should theoretically care a lot more. Now, I don't think this would have made or broken Trump's campaign. Like, I think at that point, if anyone wasn't uh, didn't leave after the Access Hollywood thing, I don't think this would do anything to it either. Like, it's, no. I don't think it's really a secret that Trump has cheated on all of his wives. So, and, you know, and there's people who just want to believe that she's lying or everyone else is lying and they'll just they're they're. He has a, a solid percent of his base is just going to tell themselves whatever they want to believe about him. That's why they can think he's like a savior type and even compare him to Jesus. It's like you can't really do that unless you like live in fantasy land. I, I just I don't know. Yeah. So you I know, think Casey, we got the impression. Prosecuted. Oh, sorry. Sorry. We're cutting into each other again. Maybe it's Zencaster tonight. Oh, um, I, think I was going to say, just... I got the impression over text message that you and I don't agree on this. So, yeah, I'm really curious to hear what you think. Well, first off, I hate Trump and I wish he would just die. But uh, <laughs> I don't care if they prosecute him. I hope they get him on a whole bunch of different stuff. This this case is just seems so ridiculous, like that this is the one, you know, and if this was like you were saying, like they're stacking indictments, you know, on several different things and stuff like that is what they're trying to do. Like if this was one more on the pile and that, you know, it was going to be a, a, a footnote in a larger trial. I mean, because really, like when you when you start looking at things like, uh, you know, the 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 stuff that happened in Georgia, the find me 2000 votes thing. Right. Like that's right. way more serious. And that, that's and that a, and grand jury has recommended indictments for that. I was going to get to that later. Like, I, I think that one's a lot more nationally significant. And so if that one if this opens the door for that to seem more plausible. Like, I don't think that's a bad thing. If this is just the first thing that was solid enough that you could catch him on it and they can get it to trial, like cool. Or they can get it to the indictment phase. Like he's, there's been so many other blatant crimes he's committed that aren't even close to anyone looking into them that I don't think it's a bad thing that somebody's trying to get him on something they can actually get him on. Cause he's been slippery around the law for decades. This isn't like, this is a recent thing. I don't think it's a bad thing in the sense that like, you know, he's being treated unfairly or anything like that. Like, like I said, by all means, take him to to uh, to task on all of this stuff. But I think it's bad for the country. And I think it's bad for like the prospect of getting someone else in office in a couple of years here. Why is that? I mean, I really think this just like juices up his base and ups his support amongst like the, the there is a certain like fatigue after he left office after January 6th that I felt from like people close to me that were big Trump supporters. And uh, it seemed like there was a lot of consensus that it was a good time for Donald just to go away, mm -hmm. you know, retreat to yep. Mar-a-Lago and just be quiet. And like, let's not worry about him for a while. Everybody was just tired of hearing about him. And like, I feel like this stuff has just continually like kept him in the news cycle and kept him relevant. And now, like, you know, after all of these different things, I mean, you know, he mentioned that in that statement that he put out, but like, you know, there's all the like Russia collusion stuff that didn't go anywhere. I mean, there was like 
Okay, the but did, report. where Robert Mueller recommended what ten different criminal charges that should be investigated and filed, and Merrick Garland just chose to do nothing. Like it didn't go nowhere because there was nothing. It went nowhere because sure. the people decided not to do anything about it. Right. But like public perception on it, I think, amongst people who lean right is just like, oh, this was a witch hunt and they didn't yeah. find anything serious enough to actually oh, sure. do anything about it. Yeah. And a witch hunt. And at right. some point it just seems like to them, like it seems like the the deck is just continually try like they continually try to stack against the, the deck against him. And Donald always finds a way out because he's a genius or because he's touched by the Holy Spirit or whatever you want to call it. I just don't think any of this stuff bodes well for his like for the country. When you look at like one division, I mean, I feel like this is just the kind of crap that just like drives people apart and, and hyper polarizes the population. And two, like I do not want to see him win in 2024. And right now, like, I don't know. I don't know which way it's going to go. I feel like he's probably going to get the Republican nomination. And this stuff, I feel like only helps his chances of getting in. And so it, far, it all of his counter press has increased his uh, polls. Like, yeah. so that's, that's what's, part is I true. think what's so what's irritating about it is like for regular ass people, it's like, he's obviously done a bunch of bullshit uh, and you should be held accountable for it. But like, the type, the way that you can be held accountable for that kind of bullshit is not in any way that's like going to feel tangible at all. It's just going to be like, yeah, like how mobsters get picked up on yeah. by the IRS normally. Like that's just the thing they can get them on. And they're and, like, well, we know what this is really about. Yeah. And then they slam the gavel and then everyone moves on. But it's like, so, I mean, there's a possibility that this could lead towards finding other things. Maybe that's the idea. If we do this, it, it, it like it just kind of yeah. Like I think that is the opens idea. the doors it's trying to, to show that it. he's not untouchable. Yeah, and it, yeah, it can like look in the doors it's... to look at every aspect of his life and poke around every corner, and maybe that's more what the so? hope is. Yeah, maybe well, more so. I mean, holding them back now. I mean, they I, have his taxes. Well, they have uh, they have plenty, and that I think that's what's so frustrating about it is it's like it feels like not. I, I get that everyone should be held accountable and everyone should be held to the same standard. I want this guy to roast. I don't have any, I don't, I don't care what happens to him in the least, but it's like, but it, I guess to what you're saying, Casey, I'm not entirely sure which way I sway on this still, but it's like, I hear what you're saying. Cause it's like, if it's going to rile up the base, if we're not going to like, what do we want out of this? Are we just, do we want to pat ourselves on the back for holding someone accountable or do we want, uh, I don't know if it's going to, what benefit is it to the population uh, when this is basically par for the course business bullshit anyway? I, I mean, I've got my hot take. Uh, yeah. What's the hot take? <laughs> so I think it is just really an open, like a, an opening shot of this is a thing that we can actually get them on. Like I'm assuming all of us would be in agreement that there's no question that Donald Trump is a criminal and committed crimes while in office, right? Regardless of what is Regardless of this, which was technically yeah. before he got elected, is there any disagreement there that at least on some level he's a criminal? No, he's a criminal. Okay, cool. <laughs> so we're on the same page there. Uh, I, just I don't I have don't... laws in place to deal with that type of crime in a way that's helpful when politicians engage in it. Is where I'm. Is like, it against so, the law to but... sucked at a certain level? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't buy the whole unity thing. I'm not saying I don't buy what you're saying, Casey. But like the whole this divides the country rhetoric, like. I just don't buy that in good faith for most people because 
yeah, Trump's yeah. side, like he is engaged in the absolute worst rhetoric for years and years and years. And, you know, his side, whatever you want to call them, whether it's the MAGA base or the whole Republican Party or whatever, has been incredibly racist. Uh, they have spit in the face, really, of the people that they supposedly represent. Um, they think the left is like demons and trying to destroy the world and subhuman and a whole bunch of other things, like depending on what day you catch them on. And I think that's one of those things where the people saying, again, not you, Casey, but the people saying, oh, unity, think about the country. Like those are the people that really just are saying, I, I don't care. And uh, I would rather let him get away with it. The same way that like Mitch McConnell was like, oh, we can't uh, impeach a sitting president. Like that's just not done. You have to wait until he's out of office. Decorum. You know, when, when the January 6th thing happened, and then <laughs> he's out of office, people were like, what is it good for the country to prosecute a former president? And I'm right, like, right. yeah, because he's a traitor. Like to democracy, he is a traitor. So yes, prosecute him. I, 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 I hear what you, well, I'm not quite done. Sorry. I understand what you're saying, but I'm more worried about the precedent of letting someone do all of the things that Trump did and he gets away with all of it. I what think about, that is a that's a really terrible warning sign for our democracy, which is already you think not that democracy. that would be a first time for that. Pre- like that would set the precedent that like it, it presidents can do illegal things. And well, this one case, case, if this one case, though, is a stepping stone to him being indicted for like interfering in a free and open election in Georgia then I'm all about it because like, that's the thing I would rather see him hang for is the treason part. That's the part I'm, I'm actually mad about. If this is just the first time somebody gets him into a courtroom and can actually pin him down on something cool. Like I, it sounds like we're all in agreement that this case is not the be all end all or is not that incredible. Like he sucks. We knew, we know he sucks in this area. A prosecution's not going to do a whole lot. I care way more about the prosecutions that come after it because for years we've been in this dance back and forth of like, well, he's a president. You, you can't, you know, you got a president's got to be able to president yada, yada, yada. Like I'd rather kick this door open and then somebody could be like, great. Can we prosecute Bush and Cheney for Iraq? Yeah, sure. Right. Like, why not? I get them. Well, I, I think like the, the, the problem on the unity side, Okay, it's it's not that like, hey, you're touching my favorite guy. It's that like these ideas are applied so like differently depending on who's doing who's the one doing the the the, the applying. You know, like and I, I the the most recent and and like ridiculous example of that was like they were they raid Mar-a-Lago over these documents. It's weeks of like, oh, my God, he had top secret documents. What was he doing with those? Oh, this is terrible. You know, blah, 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 which, yeah, he shouldn't have had those. But then, you know, Biden ends up with boxes of classified documents in his garage. And it's like, well, you know. Well, yeah, but there's a huge that difference. Aside. There's a huge difference in how those two different people handle that situation. Like yeah. if Trump had just been like, oh, my bad. Uh, I had some classified documents and he turned them over immediately. It probably wouldn't have been that big a headline. People would just added it to the whole pile of like stuff that Trump does that he sucks. Like it, it's crazy to talk about that as being like not even a footnote in the chronology of the Trump presidency, but it wouldn't even be a footnote. 
it was the whole what they were, what they ended up being, which is like nuclear secrets that I think my understanding is at no point would he have been authorized to have versus Biden stuff, which was things he would have at one point had the clearance for. Is that for uh, certain that they're nuclear secrets? Well, that like they were that they were that different in context. Yes. And then well, the, there's the second part after that, which is they uh, resisted the government for weeks and weeks and weeks. And that's why they sent a raid versus immediately calling the government and being like, hi, we found this stuff. We're not going to touch it until like the national records or FBI or whoever comes to get it. Like those are big differences fighting back against the government uh, and resisting like that type of thing and having worse documents. And we don't know about the worst documents part, I guess, neither you or I like can know for certain. Uh, but we know the way that he handled it was worse. I mean, there's absolutely no question. That's about fair. That. So I think to me, yes, it is a giant difference. It's the difference of people who have some accountability. I'm not saying the Democrats are amazing at accountability. I'm just saying if you're comparing the two, <laughs> I don't think there's much of a comparison because some Democrats occasionally are held accountable for some stuff, which to me seems like it sucks, but great. I'm glad we have that, I guess. But like, I, it's just such a huge difference. And of course the Republicans are going to, they've tried to spin it as they're the same thing. They're just, the Democrats are a bunch of hypocrites. And I really don't think it is the same. The original mistake, crime, whatever you want to call it might be, but all the handling of it after that and the semblance of accountability, I think there's massive differences. I feel like when it comes mm. to everything that's going on and I, again, I agree with prosecuting someone if they've done, if there's, yeah, for whatever reason at any time, but in this situation, Wow, any reason at any time. What a mark. Well, for good <laughs> I reason. Sam was cool. I oh, just okay. don't I you know what I mean. Uh so I know. I think where I where I still like on the fence about this is because of who he is and what he's gotten away with over and over and over again, that like bringing anything other than like a slam dunk case is just like setting everything on fire, uh, for the sake of it's like carpet bombing an area trying to like take out one person, you know, like I, it's like trying to take Alex Jones from 1 billion to 1.4 billion. It's a little like, like with the January 6th stuff where it's like, where, where is this going? Like, like if it, if obviously prosecute the people who are, you know, broke, you know, if you cross that door threshold, then you should go to prison. Right. But like, this just stringy logic of like, well, you know, did he legally like overstep the boundary? I mean, we all agree that he overstepped the boundaries and gosh, you know, he, he encouraged that ridiculous behavior. It's just all of this stuff just drags on and on and on. It keeps him like in the news cycle and it doesn't, it's to this point, it's been going on since he was elected and it doesn't go anywhere. And like, that's, that's the whole thing. Like if maybe this, until if this now, leads though. towards an indictment, oh, maybe, maybe. but every single time maybe. we say that, and that's why <laughs> okay, I but, feel so This is the first time he's actually been indicted though. Like I, I, this is different. I agree with you that like, there's a very, I, I think there's no chance he actually goes to prison for this, whatever. Like, obviously that's not going to happen. No, but they got this far. This is the new watermark of like, okay, he, he like, he was impeached for the first time, which that was huge news. And then he became the second, the first president ever to get impeached a second time. Like, and now he's, I don't know if he's the actual first to get indicted. Um, but I mean, the first in certainly our lifetimes or anywhere in the modern era, like Nixon resigned to avoid, I'm assuming he would have been. Yeah, so yeah. like, I think that is significant. It's not enough. Like, I think it is performative to a degree. Sure. What, what attorney general wouldn't want to like bag a former president? Obviously that's like, you know, 
cool. Yeah. I'm good with that. I'm good with somebody being an egotist or something and wanting to do that. He might also care about the country. I'll take it either way. I don't know. Yeah, I guess I'll take it. I, I just... feel like you're way more optimistic about all this. No, I, I think I'm not. I'm not that optimistic. I'm happy that we got this far. I think that's the what, difference. Is I think I, I agree with you on how this is going to turn out. What do you guys think on the on the? Because I've heard a few people float the idea that like the Democrats don't actually want to like knock him out of the race for 2024 because they they would rather run against him than a more mainstream candidate with like Ron DeSantis, who's who I think is every bit as awful as Trump, but he's smarter about it. So he would avoid a lot of the bad stuff, like the stuff that Trump did that was embarrassing and people had to come up with excuses to talk around. DeSantis isn't going to make as many of those mistakes. And if people have still and already accept him after the horrible things he said and done, then like he's already in on that part. He already has like the Trump blessing of, yeah, he's kind of awful, but he's our awful guy. Yeah. And then so he just I, has to avoid like the porn star hush money stories and stuff, which he probably doesn't have as many of those as Trump if he has anything like that, you know. And and he's good. So, yeah, I, that worries me a little bit. I mean, I think a lot of people were getting to the point where they were ready to just quietly move on from Trump, not just the GOP. I mean, I think they they definitely were ready to. But the leaked test text messages from Fox News, they seemed like they were very happy to be getting rid of him. I think there's a lot of people that would really, really like it if like he had a heart attack or something like that would yeah. be super convenient for them because they can mourn him as a martyr and they can just try to move on to somebody that's more mainstream palatable not move on like we've learned our lesson and we're not going to keep doing the fascism like i think right now the party is only heading in one direction and it's pretty bad but i think a lot of enough normal people relatively normal more centrist people that will probably still vote republican they probably would have calmed back down where over the last few years they a lot more of them have gotten dragged to the right by his incendiary rhetoric sorry yeah. i feel like i'm uh, preaching a little bit too hard right now. Well, I think Casey, do I think it's possible that they want to run against the Democrats want to run against him. I mean, we saw the way that they, you know, basically financed MAGA Republicans in the primaries and yeah. shit like that. So it's like, uh, or the, I, I don't remember specifically which elections they were, but it was like for Senate and representatives and stuff like that. And it, it actually worked out in their favor. They don't, those, didn't win so maybe they think that if they can run against him it'll it'll be helpful um i don't know i think i i think just to to split the difference here a little bit when we're talking about being because again like you already pointed out jeremiah we're all on the same page as far as like what to do with this like i think it just comes from a disposition of like uh what the what the outcomes regardless of how the indictments go like guilty not guilty like it doesn't feel like a slam dunk case. Uh, and if he's guilty, we're pretty much going to be in the same. I don't know what that, I don't know what that'll mean for him being able to run for president. I don't think it's going to change the way anyone who already likes him feels about him. They'll just think that he was given like handed down an unfair sentence or that, you know, the, the, the courts were rigged or it's just, we're going to, it's going to be the same old bullshit we've always heard about him. Uh, but then if not, if it doesn't go anywhere and he can, he wriggles out of this one, it's like it feels so fucking risky to take this to task when there's a good chance he'll wriggle out of it. And but that doesn't like him getting out of this doesn't mean he gets out of future things. Like it's he, that he just will get he, out of this. 
Right, but oh, so I, I know. so I'm what I'm future guaranteed like, to get out of this? Like, why why the, did, why the are Georgia, any things the Georgia on indictment? This, because he's been able the whole like decorum, you can't do this to a president or a former president thing. Like that officially, that line is getting crossed with this. It already has. I whether or not that anything happens after that, I don't know that it will. I'm just saying. Yeah, I think this is significant for that because if people were unwilling to prosecute him directly after January sixth, like I. What more do you need? Like, if apparently a lot, just, and that's I why this whole that thing looks he's lasted, <laughs> I don't think that he's lasted this long because of decorum or anything like that. I, I don't know. I just, dude, I'm just so tired of all of this. I hate this guy. I hate this, like, uh, that we're about to go back into the election cycle and yeah, that we're faced with like awful. these two binary choices where, like, yeah. you know, you're, you're forced to choose between like the mummy and and donald trump the just the absolute worst leader in the world yeah like i think it's just you know demoral- on the one hand you can demoralized you can vote for the small government conservatives that also want to like ban books from libraries and outlaw birth control anymore. they don't even do the small government thing really anymore or you can vote for the you know the the liberal progressives who you know by all chance are gonna like continue this like war in ukraine that you know all of this that's that's one of the things that's like so frustrating about this is like you only have these two choices and they're both so hypocritical and ridiculous whoever wins we lose hard to stomach it's like the yeah alien versus predator motto (laughs) which is like fair but i think we lose a lot harder with one side than the other like i think historically agreed yeah so but uh, yes i agree with the the defeatist part of it that's like it feels like there is nothing you can do and i don't and i want to be very clear i don't think this is the be all to end all and i don't think this is incredibly significant long term other than the one or two small things that it gets us but i'm glad we're getting those things so yeah i'm not normally in an optimistic position i guess maybe i'm pleasantly surprised that it actually got this far and even though like no part of me is thinking he's gonna die in prison because of this or anything like there's just it's not gonna happen no i it, it even if this all goes through, there won't be that no prison sentence will follow. So also it looks like he's losing weight. Like he's trying to get into fight and trim and everything. So that's a little, little concerning for a 70, whatever (laughs) he old. I don't know. I guess it's uh, I guess at the end of the day, we'll, I mean, it is, it's like a sit back and wait. It feels like we're watching reality TV. Uh, It's just, I, it's just all about everything about everything right now is upsetting. And I think I just heard about a recent, like, poll that was uh that's like patriotism or hope for our country is at an all-time low amongst all people of all parties and it's like that's fucking terrible like everyone's feeling the same shit right now um for different reasons uh, i mean some I people some just want to say the n-word like, again but i you're right our demons <laughs> are taking over the country and they look like gay guys like so, yeah, you yeah. know people are experiencing this on different levels they felt patriotic until story time drag hour and now they just have no hope for right. this country anymore exactly so, yeah but well uh can't solve this problem today so i'm gonna unless anyone has a last remark i'm gonna go ahead and introduce our guest last remarks all, all right. is all is lost and uh you know you're you're one day closer to death perfect thank that's you for that uh, <laughs> I, that's how i feel like i've been uh presenting for the last 30 minutes <laughs> our guest this week is andrew corfield of the band 
Meliorist, which I only learned how to pronounce on this episode when talking to him because uh, I had only ever seen it written and apparently I pronounced it wrong all this time. Uh, he's the vocalist for Meliorist. Uh, Meliorist is a metal band from Australia. Uh, I've been a huge fan of them for quite some time. Uh, they were one of my most listened to bands last year, and I uh, was very excited to be able to talk to them. They, in 2019, they put out their first album called Patterns, and then just this year, they dropped their newest album called Cascade. I've listened to that one at least 50 times at this point. I do love it, and I was communicated that in probably an awkward fanboyish way at some point, but either way. Uh, Andrew was a great person to talk to, had a lot of fun, uh, and you should definitely check out Meliorist, M-E-L-I-O-R, what is it, I-S-T? Link in the description. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, Casey, you can promote our Discord. You uh, have that unlocked. Discord. We have a Discord. There's a link tree on our Instagram profile, and you should join. And if you like the show, leave us a review, something nice. Uh, something that will inflate our egos. And that in mind, uh, enjoy our conversation with Andy. Hey, everybody. We are back with our guest, Andrew. Andrew, what's going on, man? Hey, man. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks. Good, dude. So, Andrew, first of all, super excited to talk to you. A uh, huge fan of of Meliorist. I'm assuming I'm saying that right. I've never heard anybody say it before. I just read it and go for it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a bit of a mouthful. Hey, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of, when people first try and say it, I generally try and recommend they just say it as fast as they can because it tends to come out a little bit better. So if you yeah. just say, say it as fast as you can and slam the whole word together, it, it tends to tends to work out pretty good. It's actually said Meliorist. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's- Changes. It's so funny when you see only see word because, I mean, that happens in just generally life anyway, where you've only ever like. Uh, I remember when I realized "epitome" was not pronounced "epitome," <laughs> and you look like it. Yeah, I think that's one that every. I think that's an experience a lot of people go through at some point in their life. But you feel Gestapo. like a total goose, right? Gestapo. Gestapo. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, so. Uh, I'll just start this off by blowing a little bit of smoke up your ass. So I last, last year, Meliorist nailed it. Uh, was uh, a <laughs> top, a top five for me for Spotify. And uh, with your guys' new album out this year, uh, that's certainly going to make the, the top five again. I've been listening to it quite a bit. I think it's a fantastic follow-up. I, I absolutely love it. Cheers. Thank you so much. That's very kind. Yeah, man. Um, so I also think it's worth noting and pointing out that a, it seems like incidentally or accidentally we have had a lot of people from Australia on this podcast. And I would like to ask if you all know each other, but I'm guessing you don't, I guess we just keep gravitating towards people in Australia. (laughs) And it seems like there's always some fun overlap between evangelicalism between the United States and Australia. For some reason being on opposite sides of the world, they enjoy, uh, copying each other here and there on the worst a lot of bad a lot of bad parents on both sides (laughs) (laughs) look i think i think we um you know as with a lot of culture we we like copying a lot of the stuff you guys do right so there's a lot of parallel and a lot of overlap (laughs) but 
so Andrew, where, what, let's kind of dive into your story a little bit. Um, where, um, it sounds like you grew up in Australia, but I, I know I that is, um, probably as helpful as saying you grew up in America as that probably doesn't explain a ton. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So I grew up in Queensland, Australia and yeah, grew up very much, I guess, rooted in the church and, um, uh, Started out not so much in evangelical circles, but a little bit more closed off, um, especially in, in that family unit dynamic level. In um, I guess what you guys probably have similar over there is, is the Brethren Church. Um, so grew up in that for the first seven odd years of my life. And then um, thankfully, I guess to some extent, moved away from that a little bit into more evangelical circles, which at the time was a little bit more... I guess freeing to some extent, but yeah, I, I guess as you guys would know, it's uh, there's, there's still a lot of uh, rules and and programming that go along with with all of that stuff, hey? Programming, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a solid <laughs> word for it. What's what's the the brethren? What's are they a, are they like a Christian offshoot? Or are they like a Jehovah's Witness offshoot? Or yeah, it's a um, it's. It, and look, I'm probably not the best authority to speak on the matter, right? Like I was seven by the time that we moved out of it. But um, it, you've definitely got like a more hard-lined sect version of it, uh, which is, I guess, more culty. Um, and then you've got a, an, an open version of that that's a little bit more lax with rules. But for, I guess, the uh, average punter, it's, um, yeah, it's still very strict. Dude, okay, so here... You know, if you mm. go to like Appalachia and you find a church like that, like the ongoing joke, and it's because it's true, <laughs> is they have like rattlesnakes that they pick up and they dance around with, you know, as to as a show of faith in in God that you know He's not going to let it bite. Yeah, him and stuff. sure. Yeah, yeah. You guys, yeah, yeah. Uh, you ever play jump rope with like a, a King Bram <laughs> with rattlesnakes? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know our snakes. That's impressive. Um, no, no, nothing, nothing so much like that. More, I would say, um, you know, I, I guess if you're familiar with um, Presbyterian or, or very fundamentalist type theology, um, very more strict in terms of Puritanism. Um, yeah, uh, you know, everything is everything is from the devil, right? So yeah, it's <laughs> kind of like a, a real reserved legalistic yeah you know, very very much so. your side yeah yeah so brethren i want to it's like uh the the plymouth brethren is what i'm familiar with um yeah. and they were like i think that was uh well i know it had a big like in in california there was like it had i saw like a shitload of growth Right. I honestly I don't know when I, maybe that was yeah. like a precursor to like Jesus movement type stuff. Speaking of Jesus movement, there apparently is some movie coming out that about the whole really? thing that looks pretty, um, underwhelming. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> historically Californians just can't wait to like give their money and their wife to some like grifter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why you guys got to do that? Knock it off. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely the right place to if you're if you have a cult leader mentality, that's definitely the place to go because all you have to yeah. do is just find some rocky cliff and that's you can it. expect people to already be waiting there to give I, their life to somebody they know nothing about. Open up a day spa. 
Yeah. <laughs> right. A, a Catherine Crick. Jared Catherine Leto. Crick. Yeah, Jared Leto. Oh, he would be a really good cult leader, actually. Well, like, you know. Well, that's some like say, the thing. Some say. That's yeah, a thing, he man. supposedly yeah. has like a group. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Well, that Definitely sucks the fun out of it. It sucks the fun of it when he's actually taking advantage of people. But um, but yeah, the Plymouth Brethren, were, I know that was big in California, but um, I know that they were also huge on like end times shit. Um, oh, yeah. And yep. I know the end times anxiety sets in from a young age because you yeah, know, usually definitely. around five or six, you start being told that the, your entire family might poof away into thin air and you'll just be <laughs> stranded there having to eat what's left in the fridge until you eventually die of starvation and you didn't right, need it when yeah. you got saved when you were four <laughs> <laughs> did you uh was there a heavy emphasis on that with open brethren i don't see i feel like that came more through even so as we moved into evangelical circles so i'm not too sure if oh, it's yeah. the same over there in the states but yeah definitely definitely a big part of teenage life was you know thinking about these which you look back on now and it's just so bizarre <laughs> and so <laughs> so abstract right like in terms of uh, uh, like what the normal everyday person would be thinking about and, and you know worrying about it's so far removed from that and i think especially for a teenager to be kind of just thinking about such concepts it's so so weird it really is it it's not it, healthy because, yeah it, it's certainly unhealthy it gives like a high level of anxiety at a young age especially when it does set in five six seven eight um and they just to continue thinking about that it's so it is but i love thinking about like how other people have gone their entire life without pondering it once yeah and that it does sounds it's like it feels strange to have conversations with people who have like such a disconnect from your experience it's like when it's that disconnected and you're like you that that's what that's a normal childhood and but growing up we felt like ours was normal and they were all fucked mm -hmm. like it was they yeah, were lost and uh it's just very very us versus them mentality right like you have that yeah just absolutely drilled into you from as you said like seven years old you're just uh, you're thinking of it's us versus them yeah I remember explaining to my youth pastor how I, the non-Christian kids I was hanging out with was because, you know, I, I was witnessing to them also. And they were, they were good people. It's like you had to justify all of your relationships with people outside of your immediate <laughs> circle. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Spread the gospel, but don't contaminate yourself. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> be, be in the world, but not of the world. There it is. I mean, to have friends, but, you know, not really. Yeah. <laughs> Authentic relationships are off the table for most people. That's it. You're um, always masking. You're always, you've always got this, uh, you know, ulterior motive or what feels like an ulterior motive to you as a kid. But really, you just want to be somebody's fucking friend. Yeah. Yeah. You're played with that guilt. You're like, I, ha I have this motivation and I feel guilty. So I'm going to do it. And it really does suck the life out of just, just being friends with people yeah and really absolutely just living in the moment because i remember every time i was in a moment where i was like well this feels like a teachable moment or well my friends <laughs> want to start smoking weed and or drinking and I, I should probably start a conversation about why i disagree with that and it's like the fact that i they were friends with me is really shows how great they were 
to put up with some of 100%. my shenanigans. Yeah. But <laughs> especially uh, if you're able to have like maintained that friendship, like since I guess moving out of the church, like that's always speaks volume, I think, to that person's character that they were somewhat aware that maybe you were the person that's not had the <laughs> <laughs> normal upbringing. Yeah. It's, and I, I was able to maintain relationships with some of them and I just played Battlefield 2042 or whatever it was with them nice, the other nice. night. And it is uh, awesome. funny to think about how much things have shifted. But so you, you said you shifted out of uh, Open Brethren uh, when you were like seven. So what kind of evangelical uh, environment did you find yourself in? Yeah, it was um, it was technically non-denominational, right? So they weren't technically affiliated with like a specific branch, which yeah, that's my um, favorite denomination. The bag not, cereal of a yeah, non-denominational, <laughs> right? Yeah, looking back, you kind of wonder whether that provides even less oversight and more potential for abuse to occur. But <laughs> maybe I know you're like you either don't have anyone to hold you accountable, or you just have exactly. someone to shift you to a new church after you touch a kid. Yeah, like, or you just have to find your own lawyer when someone gets molested. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, we joke, we joke, we laugh, we laugh. Um, yeah, so. <laughs> It was non-denominational. Um, it had some, it had a lot of influence. You guys would probably be aware of um, Willow Creek over in the states. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I had Willow. some pretty, yeah. It's massive, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had pretty strong ties back to that, even though they weren't affiliated. Just in terms of, um, I guess how they how they believed, um, you know, the gospel should be shared through the arts and through. Um, you know, creativity. So I think in that respect, that's kind of, um, I guess that's why I felt at home, just being a creative myself. You know what I mean? There was a real, um, a strong push to kind of engage in, in music and drama and all that type of stuff. They had a good so outlet. Coming in, what was that? Sorry. No, I, I just said they had a good, so they had a good outlet for all of that. At yeah, that obviously, church. obviously like the music yeah. and things like that. Yeah, definitely. Like, you know, I think um, I think a lot of people that kind of stay in those circles for a long time, it's because of it's because of those outlets, right? Because of the, the worship band or because you're able to kind of um, get up and do music and that type of stuff. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Coming in at uh, like seven, eight years old, mm. were did you fall into a friend group right away? I mean, were kids cool or were did you have to kind of work your way into like, their established little buddy groups and stuff like that. Like, did you feel at home there or was it a tough transition? I'm not sure if I've ever really thought about that too much. I think it was, it was fairly open from memory. Hey, like um, there wasn't really anyone that ever, you know, made you feel like an outsider or anything like that. So it was definitely accepting in that regards. Um, and yeah, like there's still people that I would say to, to some extent, like they're probably not close friends still, but um you know they've they were in that circle as well and have probably somewhat walked away as well and you know still maintain some connection with them as well so um you know i guess everyone's on their own own journey and we all move through it at different different speeds and at different stages depending on what's happening to us at life right so um but yeah at, at the time like coming in definitely was able to um pretty easily fit in and yeah so you, you didn't really feel like an outsider, which was kind of a nice thing because it was a big church, right? And and I think that's probably how those big churches um, 
operate to some extent is that they're very inviting and they make you feel accepted and belonged. Yeah. They have, and then a lot of times the theatrics and the the music. It, I mean, yeah, it's always well it's done. A, it's always it's the light well, show, right? Yeah, exactly. It's well orchestrated. They usually pull a lot of talent. Like it's hard to knock the talent of people who are invested and involved in these. I mean, honestly, from every aspect of it. Like even if you don't love uh, their mission statement, those organizations run always quite well. Um, yeah, absolutely. Pretty well like, oiled machines. Absolutely. Like you think of something like, um, yeah, like the mega churches, the amount of volunteers that they have to organize just to simply pull off uh, a Sunday service. It almost makes the free labor not worth it. (laughs) Yeah. You're talking about, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of people that are giving, that are volunteering free labor, like you just said. Yeah. (laughs) So great! It's so funny because there are a couple times in life where you can think of like one or two people trying to help you with something, and you just want to rip your hair out and say you'll do it yourself. (laughs) And you have like five hundred people begging to be able to like wash a dish and put it somewhere when they're done with it. You're like, yeah, and so they can say that they helped out. You're like, oh god, (laughs) and all with their own ideas of like how you could do it better. Yeah, innovation, (laughs) right? (laughs) It's so funny. What? what about school where did you go to like a, like a public school there? Or I, that might be a totally different way of doing things in Australia. I went to, I went to uh, an Anglican school. So like over here, we kind of have, we've got the public system and then we've got um, like full, (laughs) this is probably going to sound maybe a little bit weird, but uh, a full private school is, is typically like a Catholic private school. Um, So like, the normal normally charging a lot of money right um and then i guess the anglican system is kind of like you know represented as maybe like a little bit more of a better education and being a private school you still have to pay to go um but it's nowhere near as expensive as like an actual catholic private school so, so I, went, I, went to, like... I went to an anglican an anglican private school essentially so it's like public anglican private Catholic private is like the hierarchy. Yeah, yeah, that's. I think that's the easiest way to understand it. Like, I'm sure somebody somewhere, hopefully not listening to this, is going to be upset by that uh, <laughs> definition. Public but... school is just like a penal colony. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely I... not. Like, it's and that's the that's the it's a silly it's a it's a silly differentiation, right? Like you you can definitely get just as good of a education going to a public system. Like I'm, I'm going to be sending my kids to public school hundred percent. Yeah. I was, uh, I was homeschooled for most of my life. Um, yep. and I'm, I've asked, I've been asked so many times like, Oh, would you consider homeschooling your kids? And I'm like, of course I wouldn't. That would, I would not <laughs> make that decision. Wouldn't even cross your mind. And, but it now does create like, hierarchy though, you know, like, you went homeschooled. You went to Anglican. I was a full Christian school, and it. Oh, I it forgot. So yeah, me, the full Christian schools. How could I forget those? It does make me uncomfortable that I'm, you know, better than you guys. I don't know. <laughs> You're more holy. You. I have yeah. to live with that discomfort, you know. It, You're, we're definitely not pure. equally yoked on this podcast. That's for sure. If you guys have any questions for me, though, like fire them off. I I love to help. <laughs> What uh, what what was I guess, what was the the craziest thing looking back about going to a Christian 
was it considered a Christian private school? Is that how? Yeah. Yeah. And it had no business being a school. <laughs> yeah. it had like one qualified teacher in the whole place. But oh, wow. It, it's like it, it was, the whole system is set up. And, and it, if anybody ever questions the amount of freedom one has in the United States, just look at private Christian schools. Right, right. That's like prime Zero example. Oversight. <laughs> like, oh. like my school. Uh, so it was like this this curriculum that was it was kind of like set up so that you could be a homeschooler and use the same books and stuff but we just did it all in a big room together but they were insane i mean like (laughs) by today's standards just totally insane like when we were learning about you know in the history books because you pretty much just learn like christian history and then american history because the rest of the world doesn't matter you know american history is very christian for these places too it's a very christianized version of american history yeah like when uh when we learned about the civil war and the confederacy like they spent a deep like a decent amount of time explaining like what good christian men like stonewall jackson and general lee were and how there was like these wonderful revivals that happened in the confederate camps right just absolutely yeah just, just changing the whole perspective of actual history. Yeah. <laughs> that actually makes me wonder. Bit. Do is there? Does anything similar happen in like in Christianity in Australia? Is there like a Christian nationalist type of uh, way of looking at history in Australia, or is religion significantly less in? Not even necessarily less intertwined, but are, is it? Do people kind of force it to be intertwined from within? any Christian environments or does that not come up a lot? Hmm. Um, yeah, I think, look, the, the it's, it's kind of a, I think it depends on how deep down the rabbit hole you want to go. So that the simple answer I think that I could give there would be, um, yes, I'm just not sure if everybody would be explicitly aware of, of how that like outworks itself. Um, in, in the different systems and, and things like that. So, yeah, yeah. And, and I'm, to be honest, I'm probably not the best person to kind of go into detail about it either. Yeah. I'll, I'll stuff it up and say yeah, the it's, wrong thing. It's, it's tough because, like, I don't know, there's such an effort here, and I'm sure it exists there too, to, like, sterilize, you know, like, white, America his, white American history, you know, in, mm. in relation to, like, what we what we did to the native Americans and stuff. Sure. And I, I'm yeah. sure, I'm sure that's happens there as well. Oh, absolutely. Like we've got a very, uh, and, and I don't know enough about American history, right. But, our, uh, yeah, look, Australian history is very marred in terms of what, uh, I guess the occupying, uh, settlers did to the indigenous population and how that was then, um, really not told at all throughout, you know, history in school. Um, so you just don't really grow up knowing what's actually happened to the indigenous population. And then, you know, it's really just becoming more kind of, um, you know, it's getting a lot of traction now and which is a good thing, right? Like people, mm-hmm. people deserve to be seen. People deserve to be acknowledged and recognized. Yeah. It feels like that's happening a lot. Like I know that there's been a handful of instances in Canada where that's been brought to the forefront of conversations, uh, with just how bad things were for like their re-education camps. And then, uh, same 
same here. I mean, grew up with the same thing. It was just like, you know, you know, we wouldn't have had to kill the Native Americans if they just left us alone. Like, I, what were we supposed to do? Not defend ourselves? That's an American right. It's like, of course, I'm being a little facetious, but it was very yeah. much downplayed how awful it was. And then I don't recall learning the actual numbers either. When you hear like the number of people who were killed um, or genocided, you're just like, it's it's really fucking phenomenal to hear like. I mean, this is a big country and it was most, it was full of plenty of people before, <laughs> before we got here. And that's so wild. It like, and I, but I do feel like it's definitely been in the past couple decades where like, Oh, that's definitely more of a, a conversation. Sometimes I, I do wonder how much of it was like happening outside of the circles I grew up in. Uh, and I was just kind of sheltered from that anyway. Because you're in the but, circles. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, 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 you know, Christian nationalism's a real fun thing that I know uh, is peaking its head in uh, Australia as well as the United States. So I figured there's got to be people trying to say that their history is very Christian and actually was founded on these ideals, because uh, that's generally the way to try to convince people that you're right. Yeah, yeah. Did uh, so? Did you go to school with a lot of the same people that you went to church with? No, the, I think the good thing about being in like an Anglican school is, is really it's, uh, you know, I guess for a lot of the parents, like when they're thinking of that three tier system, it's like, how can I provide the best education for my kid at the most affordable price? Um, so, you, you know, you're going to school with kids that aren't Christians, which, you know, was probably one of the best things for me, right? Is that I was getting exposed to, um, you know, different worldviews and, and people that were normal in comparison yeah. to to what i had you know sort of experienced for the first 13 years of my life it, it's funny because that that system that tier system sounds fairly well established and it it seems a little different or strange but then i'm like i guess i i guess catholic schools kind of do the same thing everywhere because I, I i know countless kids who went to catholic school that are very irreligious and were while they were there and just thought the rules were dumb and they followed the basics of the rules, usually tried to push against them and then didn't think twice about it after they, after they graduated high school. Is it, is that yeah. similar? That's, that's a, yeah. hundred percent how it is with Catholic schools over here as well. And I, I think it yeah. comes down to, you know, for whatever reason, um, you know, without going into the financials, they're able to uh, attract really good teachers and, and pay teachers really good uh, wages. Right. So they get the best teachers and, or, arguably you know that's kind of how it's perceived is that they have the best teaching stuff and that's why um yeah yeah it has nothing to do with the fact that the families yeah (laughs) the families have so much money that they can afford to it's like wealth and how it's tied to education has some pretty fun results when you take a good look at those numbers too (laughs) if you're spending a hundred thousand dollars a year to send your kid to a private christian school you're probably putting a heavy emphasis on education in your family yeah it's it's not the sell they think it is well apparently it is because it's lucrative enough but (laughs) nobody's a devout catholic well, I mean, yeah, is that fair to say? My, well, yeah, I, look, I didn't grow up Catholic, but that seems to be the way that they roll, right? And and sorry for anyone that is listening that's devout Catholic, but seems to be uh, if you're going to be if you're going to be one of them, be Catholic because you can just you know say some Hail Marys and repent. Yeah, yeah. mosey in, mosey out. They have a beer tent. 
that's it. It's, it seems... it's definitely more of a party community group sort of atmosphere. Yeah. If you are a devout Catholic, like, come you're on, probably, bud, you're, you you're probably drinking, uh, probably having a whiskey after church. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, conf- let's not, I, let's not knock confession. Right. I feel like that helps keep people in because they just, they're like, Oh, I can walk into this box, say all my deepest, darkest secrets, and this guy's confined to keep this a total secret or lose his job. Like, they don't, they're the only uh, priests are like the only people who can't even be like subpoenaed. (laughs) Kind of like it's it's kind of like therapists before maybe therapy, like mainline therapy took off, right? Yeah, like, it's like therapy that's with bad advice. Like a terrible therapist. <laughs> yeah, that's a terrible therapist. A terrible like a therapist, therapist that's going to give you bad advice. Yeah, and it's never going to, never going to actually call you out on your shit. They're just going to take a completely neutral, passive role and say, you know, um, yeah, I don't know what they're going to say. Chant the magic words. <laughs> yeah, chant the magic words. Exactly. Yeah. That's funny. Were you uh were you devout? I mean, were you into Dude. it as a kid? Yeah, I was, man. Hey, I was uh I can't remember if I've said this to you guys already, but I I was that uh we called them super spiros. Do you, do you guys super use this term? Yeah, super spiritual. Okay. So you guys I, have I was... the best slang. Oh really? Yeah. Like so... it's not it's unmatched. I mean, the British they do all right, but like Nobody beats the Australian for like slang terms. Yeah, so I was I wasn't deep, hey. I was I was fully yeah, I was uh converted. I drunk the Kool-Aid. Yeah, I was getting raptured, man. I was getting raptured. Yeah. <laughs> when did you get like saved? Oh, like five? Yeah. Nice. I've got this, I've got this memory of, of uh saying the prayer for the first time at around five, so yeah, and I guess that just, you know, with with how, you know, you can't really put it any other way, right? But if you remember that at five, like, obviously, there was there was some pretty heavy indoctrination going on. Yeah, that's uh, about the age I was. I had to, I couldn't have been older than five. Um, all right, let's talk baptisms. Did, were, <laughs> were you baptized and what style of baptism did you undergo? Yeah, I think, uh, well, I was, I do remember it. Um, I can't remember how old I was though. I think, I think I was around 15 from memory. So like, you know, kind of, um, mid teen years, because I think there was this kind of idea that if you did it too young, you didn't mean it. I'm not sure if you guys experienced this, but like you had, you had to, um, (laughs) you had to mean it. And so in order for it to mean something, you had to be old enough to understood, to understand, sorry, what it meant. And so you had to pick the right age to do it at is kind of how I remember it being. You so can get 15. saved at five, but you don't understand it enough <laughs> until you're in your teens. It's like no one's seen the disconnect in that environment, but. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. As, yeah. A, as a second grader, I had really reasoned out my, my relationship with the universe, you know? Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. My, my view on end times was uh, completely formed by two. <laughs> I was ready to sign the doctrinal statement. yeah so um yeah i got baptized at around 15 uh full you know full immersion full dunk the whole uh the whole show kit and caboodle was it was it like in the church in a baptismal you have baptism sunday yeah we had a we had a tank tank. 
Yeah. Well, <laughs> you, you know, back the I remember doing River Ones uh as as a as a kid, like the Brethren Church did River Ones is what I remember. Um, that makes sense to me. Which <laughs> you know, just yeah, exactly like it kind of gives you an idea of of of, of that whole thing. <laughs> But uh, the the evangelical church was definitely the whole tank, you know, Sunday, big screens, so everybody could see the person coming up in the water droplets dropping off their yeah. face. Yeah. It's a, a, like Christian wet t-shirt Baptisms are the Christian wet t-shirt contests. Yep. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> a jinx. <laughs> I uh, actually don't. Casey, did you have we? I don't know if we've disclosed our baptisms. Uh, did you have a baptism too? Yeah, we had the tub up on okay. the, up behind the uh, pulpit and stuff. Oh, wasn't wasn't uh, built into the stage? Oh, you guys it were was poor. Like, it was like in the wall, like there was a thing <laughs> oh, that nice, came nice. up, and then it was like it was like a half aquarium. Like, oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> it was like an aquarium, but for turtles. You know, glass. Are we talking glass like, here? What? A... <laughs> there was a little bit of glass down. You could see into the water a little ways. Yeah, nice, nice. That's like that a glass like a nice bottom tank. boat sideways. Like the penguin enclosure at, you know, at the zoo. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure if, I'm sure if it ever became more, you know, mainstream than like, there's definitely a market there for uh tank shopping, right? For the mega churches. Like why, why is there no display rooms full of uh, baptismal tanks? You can just Dude, go shopping. What if we did like a TV, <laughs> make a reality show out of it. It's like tanked, like the aquarium show. But it's mega church baptismals. Oh, there's an idea there. Could be, could and be. They like customize them to the local, you know, like yeah. you go into Wendy's in like uh, Kansas City and it's all decked out in like Jayhawk gear. Like they kind of do the same thing, but with like local community. Like <laughs> here, you know, it's going to have like a mural on the wall of like oil rigs and cattle behind it. <laughs> it's like properly fitted with LEDs. <laughs> Are there are there any TV shows like that where not so much reality but like an office like The Office style spin off where it's kind of that breaking the fourth wall? I feel like someone should do something on that with the mega churches. That would that would be a good show. I'd watch that. The only thing is Righteous Gemstones. Yeah, oh, I which I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. Oh, that's oh, fantastic. That's, that's not office style. It's like it's not like office style where it's like you know interviewing the employees kind of thing, but righteous gemstones is like the, uh, Danny, it's Danny McBride and, uh, John Goodman. Yeah. John Goodman's like a mega church pastor and he's got like a bunch of fail kids that are all vying for his role as pastor when he (laughs) retires. It's, it's really good. Uh, too funny. I'll have to check it out. Uh, my baptism was in a pool. Uh, we did a summer little pool party, but we did the baptisms at the same time. Wait, nice, above nice. ground pool or in ground? It was. We had some. We had some wealthy people at our church with the in ground pools, so we had oh, man, was, we had the good stuff. I was so ready to call you trash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Baptisms <laughs> uh, are a funny thing because you do play it up. Cause, like, there is a lot of emotion built up around it, right? You're like, if I mm. do this too young, I, I, what if I don't mean it? And I, I remember having that feeling like 
maybe it wasn't like, what if it's not real? You can't get re-baptized. So I can't just do this again <laughs> later. I can't, I can't do this again later. If, if you get, if you get re-baptized, does the first baptism even count? Like what happens? And none now? of the ones ever count again afterwards. It's, or that one. It's like the second one cancels out all baptisms indefinitely. It's, it's yeah, a mathematical right. equation. I, I, I couldn't write it out on paper, but I'm sure someone could help us out with it. <laughs> That's so good. Now, uh, okay, so the uh, favorite lesson topic of everyone ever that Oof. that grew up in this environment is like purity culture stuff yeah is there heavy emphasis on that like sexual purity and stuff in your church yeah i think uh probably probably the nominal amount um i think i had a slightly different experience just from that brethren influence um kind of in early childhood so yeah just for me personally um absolutely it was just this weird weird topic that uh unfortunately really fucked with my head as a teenager so yeah it was it was definitely a huge topic <laughs> <laughs> it tends to do that it has, that one really bores its way into your skull remember did you guys ever play yeah. uh turok 2 seeds of evil no i haven't personally yeah, well, no. it was an it was an N sixty four game, and there was this oh, gun yeah, in yeah. it called the cere- cerebral bore, and you would fire yeah. it off, and it would launch into people's heads and just drill around in there, and their <laughs> brain matter would shoot out. And it was, of yeah. course, all polygonal, and uh, but seemed graphic at the time. And that's yeah. what I think of purity culture generally doing to people. Yeah. Absolutely. Like as, as just to give you guys like an example of what I mean, like of how much more strict it was for me personally. Um, I, I, I couldn't go to a school disco when I was seven and the reason behind it, you know, so going, <laughs> the reason behind it was due to, you know, dancing is sexual and it leads to sin. Right. So that's, and this is, we're in the nineties here. I'm talking about the nineties and this is like strictly, you know, 1950, what's that? 1950s kind of like footloose kind of thinking. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's, yeah, footloose. Um, that's, oh you said seven? That's, yeah. And I was, I was aware of the reasoning as well. So that's, I guess what, that's probably the saddest part, you know, like I've got daughters now. I took my daughter to her first disco when she was, um, I think just starting, we call it prep over here, which is like just the grade before grade one. So she went to her first prep disco and, I remember taking her to that and just being like, just this overwhelming feeling of joy. Like it's so innocent and so pure to see your kid enjoying that. Yeah. Um, And then also, I guess, struck with the stark realization of how fucked up it is to think that your kid shouldn't attend something like this. For real, man. I got, my kids are five and seven and I'm like, yeah. My seven-year-old, she has. They're doing this little dance, like a masquerade party style dance. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm I, despite talking to random strangers on the internet for the past couple of years, hate going outside of my bubble and talking to people. So the idea of doing this sounds awful to me. But I am excited about bring like it's like there's an excitement to see her in in that element and to, to bring her but absolutely like, oh now my kids are at that age where i have to go outside and 
do stuff and meet it's, other kids' parents. Oh, it's it's a real it's a, for me, man. It's re, it's been really healing having my own kids, right? Because you're mm-hmm. you're able to um, you're not experiencing your own childhood through theirs, but you're able to, I guess, provide obviously a more nurturing environment. That's um, you know, it, it does heal some of those wounds. So yeah. Yeah. Look, look forward to all those opportunities because they're, they're worth it. It really makes you, it, it puts your upbringing, like it juxtaposes your upbringing because mm. we've, you go so long without thinking about it and its impact yeah. on you in some ways. Like even though you get bothered by it and it, it pops into your, into your head a lot or at random times, like when you start raising kids is when you start being like, oh, this, that, this isn't just like a goof. It's it it's not just a goofy memory. Like some of that really is fucked up. And I the idea of of doing that as a parent or treating my kids like that or telling them that feels so awful. Like I it's hard to imagine. Yeah. Uh teaching my kids some of the things that I was taught. And the irony being that my parents were like so convinced of it that they were like, oh, I'm doing the best yeah. thing possible for my kid. Uh right. so I'm sympathetic towards that and, and their you know, nurturing spirit mm. as parents or it's like they wanted to take care of their kids in the same way, but I don't know. Uh, it doesn't, doesn't seem to hold up when you look at the, yeah. uh, the outcomes. It doesn't hold up. Yeah. You're hundred percent right. But I think that's where you, you can start to understand a little bit of like the cycle of trauma, right? Is that they, mm-hmm. they would have had similar, if not maybe more extreme, situations to some extent with potentially why they've then imprinted this upon you um in in a lot of instances right so like this uh, the good thing is is that you you are able to i guess break that cycle right by not imprinting it upon your children um but for a lot of people it's just a cycle they get stuck in this trauma cycle and they're repeating what's been repeated upon them Mm -hmm. and i think like there's something we talked about quite a bit is that like there has to be like a huge amount of peer pressure on parents in that environment like you know when you're getting hit from all sides with those kind of messages like do you want to be the only parent in the church that lets their kid go to prom and dance and stuff like that like you're going to be the only parent that like gives their kid a condom and says hey if you know something does happen just be safe about it or whatever I mean nobody wants to be that person in the group. And like, I don't know. It's one thing when it's something that you have like strong feelings about and you feel like you've really mapped out what you think about something in particular, but yeah, you know, if you're just a parent in that environment and dancing comes up and maybe it's not something that you really have a strong opinion about, maybe you're like, ah, I, I don't know, but let's just err on the side of safety and say, you know, don't go but it is irritating like as an older person like thinking about things that should have been fun but that they just like sucked the fun out of it like complete like assigned all this like unnecessary weight to it and just made it like go from a something that should have been a fun memory to like something that was just like full of anxiety and guilt yeah yeah the anxiety and the guilt yeah other big ones, right? <laughs> Andrew, you, just, like, mentioned, just, uh... you mentioned being like you're seven and you're aware of the reason you can't go to this dance. 
Um, yeah. And, and the feelings of like that, that I feel like people carry that on. Like, did that disrupt your ability to even like have any conversations with your parents about like relationships like as a teenager i remember that being so hard for me i had to pretend like i was never interested in anybody because it made me so uncomfortable yeah. to think about that topic <laughs> i think it, i think it uh, naturally breeds you feel like you're living a double life right which then just perpetuates that feeling of you know you, you think it's justified guilt um mm-hmm. but you know in, in i guess strictly psychological terms it's it's unjustified guilt and it's just perpetuating this feeling of shame right that there's something wrong with you yeah when so you i mean i you, it's obvious that you were into this through in into high school um yeah at what point was there did it start unraveling for you at what point did you start disconnecting from it not for a while man i i then went to very uh, good company <laughs> <laughs> I guess you guys would call it, um, you know, Bible college or seminary over there. So it wasn't yep. full. It wasn't full seminary, um, but yeah, I was. Uh, I was at one point, you know, studying theology and thinking of being a pastor and all of that. So really, um, yeah, yeah, did a trip to Israel. Um, so went and saw a bunch of sites. Had a great time. Um, also did a trip to Turkey and I guess saw a lot of the New Testament sites as well. Um, so yeah, I guess there was, I would say probably around 25 until things really started to kind of unravel for me in, in sense of this, this isn't feeling right. And like this, this is not who I am deep down. Like there's something fake in a lot of this. What were your, uh, before we get to that, that exit point, what were some, like, if you remember some main points of like passions regarding theology? Cause there's, I feel like everyone nerd, like Christians nerd out on certain things. And I, I got, uh, I got a biblical studies degree from an evangelical university. So nice, nice. I, uh, I, I understand these, those conversations with other, uh, people who are studying to be pastors, the theology majors, the, the Christian dorks, if you will. And yeah, did you yeah. Have, were you like, were you in a lane? Was there something that you liked to talk about? Or if you could force into a conversation, you would find your way to do it as much as you might regret having to air that out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't remember specifically having like uh, a slant towards like a niche topic so much. I remember I, I love words in general, obviously, like being a vocalist, writing lyrics, right? Like I've got this probably, uh, yeah, maybe a predisposition towards words. So I've always enjoyed understanding or having explained to me like, you know, the root words. So I had a, I had a, um, a professor that was teaching Greek and he was great because I would love his lessons and just breaking down like the, the New Testament Greek of what words actually meant. And it just felt like it you know, at the time felt like it kind of brought things to life more. I was terrible at Greek. I was no good at it, but, um, <laughs> just I having share your pain there. I had to take a few <laughs> semesters of it and I squeaked by with a C. It just nice, exponentially man. got worse as you're, as you're in your like third semester, you're like, <laughs> I need I'll, to I'll like, admit, I, I quit. I, I pulled out. Yeah. yeah. I, quit. I couldn't, <laughs> couldn't hack it. I couldn't hack it. It was not a, but, 
did just you ever find the yourself term original like, Greek just makes yeah. the, the rage well up in me? <laughs> That's what I was just going to ask him. I think it's more anxiety. Maybe I'm having a heart attack. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I can think of a couple conversations where I said, "Well, in the original Greek, uh, did you ever? <laughs> did you ever?" do that as well can you did you know i don't think I, I i didn't do that because i couldn't do that i wasn't i wasn't smart enough to be able well maybe not smart enough but i didn't i didn't put the effort into um to learn it right so i think yeah. definitely definitely you know end times end times like um <laughs> the growing up evangelical right you've got pre-post and a millennial so you know, oh yeah going into going into the nuances and, and debating where you stand on that and and who's who's right and who's wrong and, and all of those types of conversations were always fun in quotation marks right um <laughs> but it's so funny because it's like it's friendships. like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> talking fun. about that stuff like having hour-long conversations whether you're like pre-trib post-trib ah millennial pre-millennial post-millennial and you get into it and then you're like you realize that you were just playing dungeons and dragons basically (laughs) (laughs) you were you spent hours having conversations about something that doesn't exist (laughs) oh that is so funny with your entire personality (laughs) yeah the core of your being right like you are 100 percent um raptured <laughs> up in this topic you just like roll your 42 sided die and like oh behold the pale horse <laughs> the four horsemen of the apocalypse uh, are yeah. upon us um, so i think i think going to you know that was kind of very much in the evangelical circles you know um obviously the, the left behind series and the left behind books were a big thing when I was a teenager and just getting, yeah. we, we all read them. We all read them. Uh, <laughs> um, I think also, so that was a huge influence. And even from my parents, that was like a big, a big influence from things that they were, um, you know, interested in. So that fed down to me. I think what kind of gave it a fresh perspective when I got to, um, you know, Bible college was not such a literal interpretation, which was kind of refreshing and looking back almost, almost grateful for that. Right. And, and just kind of yeah. looking at, uh, looking at, um, you know, concepts like Armageddon and what that meant within the context of the time of when it was written. Um, and that actually coinciding with obviously what I was studying at the time and getting to go to, um, you know, getting to go to Turkey, I got to go to Patmos where, um, you know, Revelations was, was allegedly, allegedly. <laughs> which, you know, um, as a, I can't remember how old I was like 20, 23 year old. It was, um, you know, sounded like a good deal at the time to be able to go on this kind of expenses paid trip to the other side of the world. Um, seemed like a bit of a holiday. So, yeah. yeah. Did you like see yourself? 23-year-old you, did you see yourself as more of a Rayford Steele or a Buck Williams type character? <laughs> oh, do I have to answer that? <laughs> it wouldn't mean anything if you did. <laughs> we recently well, uh... did a, an episode with some friends of ours from the Boys Bible Study podcast, and we went back and watched Left Behind 2 Tribulation Force. <sighs> 
Tribulation Force. Was that the good one? I feel like there was one that was like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sure, all why not? <laughs> it's it's like it's like um too fast too furious right the the <laughs> like there's, like there's a better one too fast, too furious. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god That's kurt the... cameron is christian vin diesel <laughs> oh my god it's it. there's 12 of them they get crazier as they go along it's that's it well, oh, i mean shit. you know it makes sense with the scrolls and the trumpets like it's got, it's got to, they've got to bring the heat each each movie the devil loves love the brass section dude you should go back you should go watch that movie it's on youtube oh really go go watch pieces of it you'll oh man is it just a cringe like... fest the whole time Oh, oh God, yeah. yeah, it's like it's like stroke-inducing eye roll. <laughs> <laughs> it's so bad; it's hard to believe. Uh. It's it's just that it's so on the nose that that I guess that is par for the course for evangelicalism in most circles, where it's like we need to spoon feed this to you because you're a moron and you'll never know anything unless I tell it to you the way it needs to be told. Mm. And the movies are basically like. Instead of just like having regular human dialogue that would naturally progress the storyline and they're just explaining people... the plot, yeah, they just narr- it's like it's individuals taking turns narrating the plot exactly. It's bad, yeah. it's <laughs> yeah, every character is just like an exposition tool, yeah. <laughs> yeah. As you well know, I work for Mr. Carpathia. <laughs> Dude, my favorite thing in Christian media that I like, it's in every anything that talks about the end times at all. Like every single one of them, they're like, well, you know, the Bible says that we're in the end times. I mean, there's earthquakes. <laughs> they got such a hard on for earthquakes they don't, love don't them. forget wars and rumors of wars that's wars, wars there's rumors of wars like that's the fun that. part earthquakes less fun that's a that's that's a good album wars and rumors of wars by the chariot it's a classic Heck yeah hey, yeah that's it <laughs> saw them play that at cornerstone <laughs> never made it over obviously because i was a teen and couldn't afford the flights but uh yeah you guys had i think that's the the that's really the saving you know not, not to use that term but incorrectly but the saving grace of this whole upbringing is that i found heavy music through yes through <laughs> this circle at the same time so it's like this weird well i had some very odd beliefs you know handed down to me but at the same time i've managed to um i guess hold on to the stuff that matters which is cool which is good did, music. Uh, good music were you yeah, like 100%. how did you end up there did you were you like a yeah rock kid and then no, not, not not initially so i was like probably you know just a pop rock kid you know reliant k um all of that stuff yeah and then well, okay. I, I could I just if anytime they come up I always need to just jump in real quick and say they still rock they I really okay, like Reliant cool. K. I'm, look, I haven't given them a, a jam in a little <laughs> while, but I'll take your word for it. Um, we <laughs> had we have. had like <laughs> we had a so I've got a lot of siblings and them 
the closest one in age to me is about four years. So I've just naturally always gotten along a little bit easier with people that are a little bit older than me, just because that's, you know, sibling age range, I guess. Mm -hmm. And we had these, um, uh, these boys, I can't remember what they called themselves, but they were like the dish hog crew. Like they were clean up crew after youth group on a Friday night. And they were a bunch of the, some of the leaders, some not leaders, but you know, they were four, six, about four to six years older than me. And they were obviously all into heavy metal or Christian heavy metal, right? So um, Norma Jean, just all of that stuff. And uh, yeah, it's it's what got me into the scene, I guess. Yeah, Norma, that's a that's a big one. I Norma Jean the was Martin. the yeah. big one. Yeah, that's the one that like I we get because I was like I would just listen to rock and shit like that, and occasionally <laughs> like a rock band would scream for like a little bar. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. And you're like, you're, I would always, or I want more maybe, of that. Maybe a double kick. Yeah, Whoa. always Whoa. blew your mind a little bit. <laughs> And then uh, Lincoln Park was a big help in, in like oh, hearing those like heavy vocals. Um, POD and, South uh, Town. Yep, POD was a big one. So it's like all of that is like you had those glimpses, and you always like you you had that desire for something heavier, but you just didn't know it existed. And then when I remember the, when you hear Norm, I heard Norma Jean for the first time. Yeah, and I was just like oh holy shit, this is yeah, yeah, crazy. Yeah. This is what I need, and that just. <laughs> It just that was like what opened the floodgates for me. Yeah. What did you move on to next after Norma? Like, was that did you stay there long? So no. So I was like, it was like Norma Jean. Like my, I ended up getting into like a lot of like the, like the screamo kind of shit too. So your Emery's, your under oath with your only chasing safety. Uh, Yeah. Dead poetic. I really liked. Uh, They're not screamo so much, but. just Molotov, the, Molotov cocktail. Say no more. Yes, there it is, man. Oh new, god, new, new medicine. New medicine was such a <laughs> fucking solid album, dude. Just a good ass emo album. Um, Actually, uh, I looked them up. I don't know, probably a few years back now, just to see like what are these guys up to. Like that was such a staple of my teenage years. Like, and he had such a great voice. Like, yeah, yeah. They, I don't know what happened. They just didn't carry on. I guess I feel like they really could have. Um, and then. A couple, like, I remember getting really into Project 86, too, was an initial yeah, one yeah, for yeah. me. And I revisited them this past week, uh, actually. They put out a new single, and it's not, I don't love it, but it's not bad. And I yeah. would say their last full-length album was actually really good. Um, but, yeah. Uh, and then, of course, you just keep going deeper down the rabbit hole around that time. I met kids who weren't Christians too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's when I started getting to like, I got super Branching into like out. darkest hour was like huge for me for a while. Man, that, that coming darkest to Australia. Hour. Um, I think it's this year actually. I think that really, so, yeah. So I'm, I'm keen to get along to one of that shows. Cause, uh, yeah, huge fan. That's cool. Oh man. I haven't seen I, last time I saw darkest hour. I must've been like, 19 years old and it was like a 15 dollar <laughs> show it's <laughs> i think it's i think they're uh, charging about 45 a ticket but yeah so you know it's totally, good to I, see it's yeah. funny how it's such like a small group of bands and stuff like that but then like we were kind of like on totally different spectrums yeah. of that stuff because yeah i started out like skillet and pillar and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. pod still great uh, all that stuff, and then 
I think like the first like metalcore band that I really got into was Haste of the Day. Nice. Yeah. And Evergreen Terrace, Demon Hunter, Azalea Dying, like yeah, yeah, and so on and so forth. August Burns Red was like a big one when Thrill Seeker came out. That was like that was yeah, same. I was grade eight, and I still remember discovering it. I had so not (laughs) I had this weird thing. I was probably maybe a little obsessed with music, so I don't really remember doing homework at all during high school <laughs> and, uh, and i would uh my, my afternoons consisted of getting home i'm not sure if you guys remember this site it seems like we're pretty similar in age but there was a site called pure volume oh fuck yeah, yeah. my yeah. shit ass high school band was on pure volume and yeah. thank god it's been scrubbed from the internet but... <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was like the uh it was what the actual you know i always saw pure volume as like the kids that didn't know music used MySpace, but the actual, the actual kids that knew music, you're on pure volume, scouring that for like, you know, rare finds, gems, upcoming bands. Um, yep. So that was just pretty much my whole, you know, teenage years not doing homework was uh, getting on pure volume, looking for, looking for these new bands and. They had like was samples, just... right? Was it? They didn't have full length songs on it. Wasn't it usually like. Sections? I think, I think if you were like length? signed, yeah, I think if you were signed, you had like a, a pro profile type thing, which is kind of funny because it's it was almost the, uh, you know, it was almost foreshadowing Spotify in a way, like in in yeah. terms of just being able to search a band and then and then play their music and stream it. Um, yeah, so I, I just remember finding Thrill Seeker and yeah, just being absolutely. Wow! Like what? They changed what the genre with that album. Yeah, dude. When yeah, they I used think... to open every show with "Your Little Suburbia and Ruins," <laughs> and then they would end it with the seventh trumpet. It's like it doesn't get any better. <laughs> <laughs> that last song would come on, and those drums would be like, and the whole place would just freak out. By the time I... they made it out to Australia, I think they were already onto messengers, which was, you know, just huge. So I don't think I've actually ever heard too much of um, that album actually ever played live. So that's pretty cool. I feel like anybody who makes China symbols owes them residuals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did uh, oh. did you ever, guys, at your church? Did you ever get the like most music is bad talk? No, I think I think because of the em- embrace of like the arts and and the association to Willow Creek and like you know you can reach people through you can reach people for Jesus through the arts. There was a real openness to styles of music, and there wasn't really that. Um you know, I guess pretense put on certain styles of music being bad or evil, which is probably, yeah, once again, it's the one thing that's kind of stuck with me through the whole upbringing and, and since getting out of it is music. Yeah. Thankfully I didn't get that either. I it was, it was like, I, it was important for me to listen to Christian music, but again, mm. like you said, that's what was so salvific about finding heavy Christian music. It was able to like satisfy that part of you that you we're missing and that that plugged you into a new like it it created like a venn diagram of identities right you're like now i'm into this it's not just christian stuff and it's like it's christian stuff and this and there's a lot of overlap but that did open 
me up to other things, other people, other perspectives. That was my, yeah. as someone who grew up homeschooled and in the church, that was something that really pulled me in a, a direction that allowed me to like experience something outside of my bubble for the first time. Yeah, it's so good. Um, yeah, I feel like your guys' churches were like, we can reach people through music. And my community of churches was like, we'd rather not have them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if the Spirit's calling them, they will leave their music at the door. Casey, what was what was your, um, like what denomination, like what? how would you describe it? Uh, it was Baptist. Okay. It was like, my church was one thing, like they weren't. They weren't that bad, but like the curriculum, the organization that that put out the curriculum we used at my school was called ACE, <laughs> and they were just flat out insane. Yeah, like we would go to these big meetups, you know, with all these other Christian schools. It would be like competitions and stuff, and like mm-hmm. it was just the dumbest bunch of like rules a, like you've ever heard. A, was it like a tent rally, but with Christian schools? Yeah, and you and we'd go there and compete in things. So like, you know, you'd have like track and field stuff that you would compete oh, okay. in. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And like they would be like, guys, you have to wear your dress slacks and your shirt tucked in and stuff until you get to the field and then we'll have a place for you to change into your shorts. But you have to put your pants back on to walk back to the dorm. Like right. and the girls all had to wear like they would play volleyball and stuff, but they had to wear like culottes. Uh-huh. Which are like, it's like Not an as... enormous billowy skirt, but like fused into the middle into like huge shorts. Pretty much just prevents any actual mobility, which is what you need when playing volleyball. Right. Well, and then like if you dive, they're huge. So like if you if you dive after a volleyball, like the open, it, they're like you jankos. float down. <laughs> you just float back down real slow. <laughs> Yeah, they were oh. they were literally like Christian Jankos for girls. <laughs> Catch the a, a, like a big breeze just blows them to the other side of the field. That's wild. <laughs> what the, okay, so I think this is a fun exercise. Thinking back to, I mean, you how how you had to have sat through years worth of sermons over the course of your life. Yeah. Like, are there any, is there any that stick out to you in your mind that you think like, oh man, that was a good one or this one was insane or what was going on with this guy? What do you remember? <laughs> I remember a, com- a couple of, um, used to, used to be a bit of a conference junkie. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys have ever attended any either. So there were, we had these, uh, I guess mega churches would put on these, um, would put on these kind of annual conferences where you were supposed to get, you know, reignited with the Holy Spirit. Proto-Asbury revivals. Before you went back to school and, you know, converted your whole school. Was that yeah. Pumped up for the school year. Um, <laughs> so there was a lot of, uh, I think there are a lot of sermons in, in those, which, which, you know, naturally they're talking to 5,000 teenagers, right? Um, they've, they've got to keep them engaging. So there was a lot of talks in there that kind of stood out as being creative. But I think 
I think the one takeaway from all of that is just that, okay, like communication is a tool that can be really powerful to, you know, you can see it positively or, or negatively, right? Like you can mm-hmm. inspire people to motivate them to kind of do good things or you can really manipulate the fuck out of people. Yeah. That's a good, it does. It's the power of communication, man. The setting, the environment, the lighting, the music. It's like, the there's so temperature. much. That, yeah. The temp, dude, there's so much that goes into it. Um, I just loved when the aircon would kick in right as the, the pianist would come back up to play the nice, <laughs> you know. Is that the Holy Spirit? The oh, the Holy Spirit's moving. <laughs> <laughs> so here, I mean, there was like, uh, you know, we would have these weird, I don't know how they found them, but we would have like these weird like uh, evangelists that would show up and teach for a week. Mm. or something like that you know yeah some of them that's how like, some people made a living right so many people Shocking so yeah. many people squeezed the living out of these churches yeah. just like showing up and spewing nonsense like yeah especially the the so-called prophets right oh you got a prophet coming on sunday get ready to give a fucking offering that's <laughs> oh, self i don't know if i ever saw a prophet you never saw a prophet they describe themselves as prophets. Oh yeah, yeah, man. And if if you received a prophecy, whew, you were like then, you, you were like it was like getting a gold star. Yeah. You ever get a prophecy? <laughs> What's that? Did you ever get a prophecy? Oh, uh, look, I think I had a handful, but uh, they've never, <laughs> they've never. I didn't stuck. know we were talking to a prophet right now. <laughs> yeah, they, they they never stuck, right? Like they never. Uh, I don't know it's 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 like um it's like a daily horoscope right yeah it's like Com- vaguer than tarot card reading <laughs> i uh needed a prophet that was like buy bitcoin yeah. <laughs> i wish i wish man i wish instead your prophet told you to buy dogecoin at the wrong time <laughs> yeah don't you talk that about elon <laughs> told you to told you to buy sheep after it had already pumped twenty five percent. But okay, Andrew. So we were talking a little while ago before our little tangent here. But your your was exit hole, wasn't it? It was. We we're that's our thing here. Rabbit I love holes, it. Which is I love it. Why it's always these are long form episodes constantly, despite our best efforts. Um, he. Your exit. So you said around, I think you said it was like 25 ish. Um, you start mm-hmm. feeling like there's a disconnect. What was like, what was the, maybe one of the catalysts or stuff that you were thinking about when you started shifting? Whew. Um, I think it was just not feeling, not feeling genuinely connected to people that, uh, you know, they're supposed to be friends to some extent, right? Like, people saying that they're your friends or even more than that because you're supposed to have this uh well like you know you're connected in christ apparently right so that's to me that sounds like a much more uh, <laughs> intimate relationship than just a friend um but yeah i think just a lot of actions that never things that transpired that never really actually married up or ever felt like that was the actual case and it was just a matter of kind of well at some point in time you've just got to start looking at evidence and for me i guess behavior 
uh, I think is, is really, you know, coming out of what largely I now think of as like a cult mindset is that, you know, you can't believe what people say. You've got to, you've got to assess them on their behaviors. And if their behaviors and words aren't aligning, then they're lying and <laughs> you can only take them for what they're actually doing. And, um, you know, in, in that instance, I guess it, it meant slowly kind of disconnecting from those circles and it, it probably was a slow disconnect. You know what I mean? It wasn't like an overnight mm-hmm. full 180. It was, it was definitely probably a slow disconnect over three or so years. I think during that time, were you ever trying to like force it? Like, uh, I'm starting to feel this way, but I kind of feel bad. So maybe I'll look into it. And you're like, uh, some people go down this, like, I'm going to read all these books or I'm going to look into this thing. Or was there anything around that time where you were like trying to, trying to hold on to it? Or is it just something that was happening and you started kind of just losing belief, I guess is probably the simplest way to put it. Yeah. I think it, I think it felt more like the second in terms of just a bit of, uh, you know, kind of disillusionment, right? Just being mm-hmm. disillusioned with, um, you know, friendships and, and the the same, hearing the same messages over and over again and not actually seeing, not seeing change in myself and not seeing change in other people. And, you know, if, if, a, if a big part of this is, you know, there's a huge push around, and I guess, you know, side note, this is why I'm very suspicious of things like, um, you know, other groups that promote, I guess, a really heavy personal development um, kind of progression point of view in terms of becoming a, a better person is like as a, a very hardline belief um, because I think there's a lot of thinking that that lines up with this idea of of becoming something that's just simply unattainable and and almost almost like a, an exercise in what I would probably call like mental masturbation right you're just like yeah you're just obsessing over this idea of attaining something that's not real and it's not actually it's not achievable because it's not real yeah it's um what's the the word is slipping my mind and it's like a it's a very common christian word for your your growth and your development your doing life oh my god it's gonna drive me insane (laughs) because i've used it a million times yeah thanks doing life no it's um doing life sanctification the sanctification of christian that's the word that was used a lot we're all being sanctified and you're like so that's exactly what you're talking about it's like you're being told that your devotion to this and your your desire to follow christ is going to result in you being more and more and more and more like christ and then you look over time and it's just that's obviously not the case based on their even based on their definition of christ like take a side there like well here's how i feel politically because of x y and z it's like regardless of what those people say about their politics if you want to have a conversation though about what they think about christ they're going to say that he on a personal level was out there like helping the poor and the widows and the orphans and making their and that's their vernacular even though it's it goes contrary to their their typical political belief systems but even for the ones that don't, it's like, you're not seeing, you, you'll see it in, in rare instances. Like some people pop up with faith that do beautiful, amazing things. 
Um, but you don't see it consistently and commonly enough based on their belief around this concept of sanctification. And you, at some point you just have to go. So if that's not real, then what you're saying isn't, isn't true. It's that's not the direction or, or you have to conclude that, that that's not the purpose, uh, which is, I think what also kind of what you said when you're like, it's an unattainable goal. Um, so you could conclude that that's not the purpose and that was never what Jesus was trying to do for you yeah. or through you. But uh, it does, it, it has to create a disconnect when, when you start thinking about it like you were. Yeah. Some, something's not adding up. Right. So regardless of where you kind of uh, end up in, in concluding, I guess, you know, around the why or the purpose of, of I guess, um, you know, behind some of these organizations, it's, yeah, things don't add up. And I think that's enough for a lot of people to, to start disconnecting. Yeah. Did you, uh, did you experience like any, anything like scandal? (laughs) No, I was going to say preempted. (laughs) (laughs) Anything scandalous? Based on what you were saying, I was like, "This sounds familiar." I feel like it must be something What's uh? What was the full question? Sorry. I I guess uh, did you see anybody like uh, was there like any scandal involved at the church that like? I don't I don't think so. like not that I recall. I think you know probably the the, the most scandalous things was finding out that uh, one of the kids that you thought was most devout was having you know premarital sex or something like that you know what i mean like just these really something as awful as that that's terrible oh my gosh right like these normal behaviors <laughs> um yeah so i don't i think and and who knows right like maybe there were some things that i wasn't privy to as a teenager but yeah i don't thankfully didn't get uh i guess caught up in anything like that so when you yeah when... i know like a big migration point for me like a turning point mm. for me, like in, in how I looked at, in how I felt, it wasn't even like a conscious choice. It was just, it changed the way that I felt about all of it was mm. that, uh, a guy that, that was at my church that was doing a ton of good things. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He got caught like looking at porn on one of the computers at church, yeah. you know, big deal, whatever, don't do it, blah, blah, blah. But like, the way that the church handled, handled it, yeah, and I see what you him. Yeah. Like it wasn't any big deal that he got, like it was understandable. Obviously they were going to do something about it, but like the way that they just like publicly crucified him, mm-hmm. that was what made me go, I don't, this is, what, what is this? Like, what is the point of all of this? If It's all fake, you know? Mm. Yeah. Just, it just really, I guess, reinforces that it's all for show, right? To kind of shift this to your to your music a little bit, I one of the reasons I reached out to you was because there was there was themes in your new album lyrically where yeah. I was like, so there in your first album there were a couple of there was a couple of times because I when I I had considered reaching out previously because there was a couple of times <laughs> where I'd listen and be like that. When you grow up the way we do, you there's certain things that will Words, stick out sometimes. Where like I feel like yeah. that person knows something about what I know, and there's a yeah. connection. So, I but I, what what, was, what was it in the on the first album? Do you remember? I honestly, I don't, I don't, don't remember. remember. I don't remember. I would have to scour the lyrics again um, in order to. It was, it was a. It would have been a. It would have been oblivion. 
it would have been Oblivion. There's a there's a track called Oblivion off the first album, which is um, yeah, that sounds it's, right. it's kind of like it's kind of like just this you know howling at the wind kind <laughs> lyrically. So listening to the new album, uh, I after giving it a few listen throughs, I was like, there are so many themes here, which yeah. certainly felt to concern confirm my suspicions from the the original and uh it yeah it really be especially um around like it wasn't the one i reached out to you about uh the one i reached out to you about was the uh not what's the name the last track what's it called again uh incommunicado incommunicado thank you um but the one that really stuck out to me afterwards was um all i need uh which was Mm -hmm. very seemed highly influenced by some of your experiences um yeah uh, within christianity are there was there something about your your shifts or what's what was going on with the new album that kind of brought that to lyrically more to light in, in this in this new one versus the the previous one yeah so essentially a lot had happened um i think from a more general point of view uh i think i'm just out of point in my life now where I'm more comfortable just kind of talking about it in a more open fashion and and ready to kind of you know share my story and share some of my experiences and I think that's the beautiful thing about music right is that it's such a cathartic process in a a lot of ways to be able to kind of express some of the things that you've been through Um, so I think that's more of a you know high level general kind of place that I'm coming from um, and then I guess more specifically in terms of what had happened to me, um, is that I, I'd lost my son. So my, my wife and I are still, still born and, uh, um, oh my God. yeah, he was essentially due the next week. So he was, uh, you know, we we're all excited, had the baby room ready. Um, and one morning she woke up and. She unfortunately couldn't feel him moving anymore, so we raced off to hospital. And um, yeah, it was just like this. Obviously, probably the worst thing that's ever going to happen to me, <laughs> and 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 can probably yeah. happen to anyone, right? Like the, um, I guess the trauma of having to bury your own son. That's something that um, yeah, it's heavy stuff, and it really created um created a lot of introspection in the sense that I realized that even though I'd already disconnected from these circles, I still, you know, that the programming was still so deep and so strong within Mm. myself that I realized that, you know, I was, I'm now angry at a God that I don't believe in. Like, how do I, how do I come to terms with that? How do I grapple with that sort of a concept of, like, am I just angry at the sky? Like, if, if I now say that I don't believe in God, which is probably what I would have said after kind of disconnecting from these circles, and now I've experienced this thing, this event where I've lost my son, and now I'm feeling angry at God, does that just, you know, it kind of really forces you to kind of dig deeper and, and take a more... Um, not clinical, but, you know, really take a more deeper look at what it is that you actually believe. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. I don't know if there's any conclusion to that. Like, uh, uh, is that something you're still, still circling around your, your belief 
uh, around that your anger your... yeah i think uh, i i don't think circling around so much with the anger like you know um that that happened actually just before we put out the first album so it's like this really weird okay. time because um we'd already finished recording and we're ready to release and you know all these exciting things are about to um you know start happening in your life and then it kind of is uh feels like this big false start type thing mm. um and you know so it was quite a time and then COVID obviously happened as well so um there was a lot of time between the first album and the, and the next one obviously because of some of the stuff that i had to deal with and, and and go through in terms of being you know being emotionally ready to kind of um write music again and a lot of writer's block, obviously, like just not being able to kind of access emotions in the same way or uh, even just as easy as previously maybe what I would have been able to as a writer. Um, so I think in, in terms of like where where I'm at now is, yeah, like I think I've come a long way in terms of um, in terms of dealing with the anger, right, in terms of dealing with that actual day-to-day feeling of, being wronged and, and injustice um and in in terms of spirituality it's actually it's actually opened me back up to spirituality um in a big way which is it's actually been a beautiful thing because of previously to that and and leaving the church is that a lot of the things that i would uh associate with my intuition is that my intuition also had a natural association with, uh, because obviously the way that we were brought up, my intuition had a natural association with with God or with the Holy Spirit. And so I shut, I ended up shutting down, like after leaving the church, I ended up shutting down um, a big part of myself. Like I shut down my sense of intuition and because it was it was triggering feelings of, you know, well, oh, that's that's not real. That's God. Like that's that's kind of crazy talk type thing. And so yeah, I shut that yeah. part of myself down. And and I guess through you know through this tragedy, like it's a horrendous experience, but it's actually opened me back up to you know my intuition and um you know this part of me that I'd shut down for so long. So it's you know it's um there's there's some good that's come out of it, which is you know not a not in any way, shape, or form a um, you know, a compensation for what I've lost, but mm-hmm. yeah. Was there, did, so you've got siblings and stuff like, I mean, mm. where's your family at with all this stuff? Are they still a part of the church? They gone yeah, the same way? Um, I think, I think for most of them, they're probably, I would say they're still um, connected. I think, you know, some more than others are maybe more in it than not, and and others are maybe slightly more disconnected than than others. I've got I've got five siblings, so there's a few of them. Um, but yeah, it's um it's a bit of a mixed bag when it comes to their own personal stories as well. Yeah, I'm, I feel yeah. like it would be hard to go through, like being in the place you're in with yeah, that see stuff. Where you're going. Yeah, 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 yeah. Keep going. I mean, there's even reference of comfort, like ways to communicate comfort to someone that's going through something like that. So much of it has really, that's, that's something that I, I struggle with, but you know, like somebody's lost someone or, you know, anything. And it's, 
I, like I don't even know what to say to someone anymore. Yeah, I think I think sometimes that can be the beautiful thing about family is that um, regardless of the the ideology that you've kind of subscribed to growing up, is that when you know a tragedy kind of falls somebody in the family, is that there's just there, there genuinely seems to be a natural urge and desire to to I guess uplift and support that person regardless of whether you agree with that lifestyle anymore and I think that's um you know I think that's a really admirable thing about family in general mm. yeah especially if you have that when you have yeah, that if, kind if, of family, when you have for that sure. absolutely yeah I'm yeah very aware that not everyone's got that right 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 yeah man it's <clears throat> it's I, it's hard to imagine how that would um, impact one's thinking. And you feel like you've had this confident split from all of it into having yeah. so much of that like reignited through something mm-hmm. so awful, not just your own in- in- inquisitiveness or uh, through a book that you read when you're like, well, now I'm interested in investigating. It's like to, to shoved in to your have face. Shoved, yeah. Yeah. That's a, it's a, that's a lot because then you're under normal normal was a bad choice of words but under any other circumstances you'd be you'd be mourning the loss of your son um and now (laughs) but under these circumstances you are now like forced to come to terms with something that you thought was resolved but wasn't at the same time. And that, that makes such a significant difference in the way that you would process or, or heal or the areas that you would look, that you would look to for that, for the healing that you would need. Yeah. I think it, I think it has the potential to, but at the same time, I think maybe there's a, I was really struck with just how much Western society and culture in general has a real avoidance to, um, dealing with death or wanting to think about death Mm -hmm. is just an absolute uh you know even even in terms of i guess maybe how we treat some of our elderly once they start to get old is you know ship them off to a a nursing home and don't want to think about it right because it's that's going to be me that part that's (laughs) (laughs) that's going to be me i think i think the the thinking is right the like what's happening is is that's going to be me someday and that's confronting so i don't want to think about it so it's yeah it's easier to, it's easier right to deal that. with it's easier to deal with in that sense um and I've, I've totally lost my train of thought so what was the question <laughs> <laughs> who knows at this point who knows? <laughs> <laughs> do you okay you just... so you're open open back up in some form or another to like spirituality i feel like if i ever if if somehow I ever ended up back in, you know, finding finding my way back to that that mindset in some form or other, I feel like I would be very skeptical of groups, thought leaders. Yeah, uh, and and even before that, right? Like I've always, I think now my radar for anything cult like, <laughs> or yeah, like like you said, thought leaders. Um, people that are projecting a message, but underneath are, you know, there's an ulterior motive that they're trying to either financially fleece people or, um, I, I, and I think, 
I don't think that's always necessarily the motivation in these groups. I think on on a large, probably more, you know, maybe not a, it's not necessarily not as bad, right? But I think a lot of it's ego driven as well. Is it's just that yeah sense for yeah sense for status and and I'm I'm somehow gaining you know recognition and that makes me feel good, right? Like serotonin dopamine chemicals in your brain going going haywire yeah for the egocentrist Um, it allows them to feel like they're accomplishing something or being purposeful or it provides purpose uh if you want to look at it in a more benign way it could be worse but if you're an egocentrist you're like i'm being fulfilled through through having a flock um and then you can mistake that with being uh fulfilling a calling of some sort yeah yeah. Maybe it's like just natural effect of just being a you know in sales for my whole adult <laughs> life. But like every time somebody's talking with authority, like my my thought is like, what are you selling? Like, what mm. are you selling me? And like, take the weight of spirituality out of it. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. you start talking to people, especially you know, there's a lot of guys that are really into like motivational stuff, you know, which is fine, but. Yeah. Uh, They'll be like, you know, what are you doing to better yourself right now? I mean, what what books are you reading to like, you know, make yourself a better salesman, make yourself a more effective communicator and stuff? And I'm like, I'm not going to read any of that. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to listen to it. Like the the last thing in the world I want to do is go listen to some jerk off that's trying to sell me this idea that like success is just one little, you know, <laughs> flick of the wrist away from happening to you you just need my formula yeah go yeah. screw yourself the, the formula <laughs> gurus right product productivity hacking and that's that's a <laughs> it's really interesting right because i think there's a you can almost stay in the exact same like even if you leave the church you can almost stay in the exact same mindsets it's just in more absolutely mainstream yes. society right like with with the productivity hacking with things i'm definitely not against personal development i'm huge you know i think personal development's really important and strongly believe in in i guess um having setting goals and, and accomplishing things right um but i think it's it's about the the way that you go about that and the mindset and the mentality yeah yeah well there's a, there's a really like, good book there's a- um Sorry, I'm about to sell you a book. <laughs> I'm ready. The irony. I'm ready to take a dump yeah. on it. Yeah, really let me book. stretch out. Uh, it's, I read it, read, it, uh, read it last year. It's called uh, 4,000 Weeks, and it's actually by the author of the guy. So he's a big productivity hacker nerd. Uh, essentially, his, his job was to like find, you know, he wrote about productivity hacking as his job. And uh, this, this book is essentially saying it's all bullshit. Hey, there so, you go. I could read that. Uh, I think you, I think you might thoroughly enjoy it. So give it a try. <laughs> Sell me the idea that I'm right already. <laughs> Success. Like the the sales version of ex evangelicals. <laughs> right. All bullshit. Let me tell you how on it's all bullshit. I love it, <laughs> man. I um. I, I know we've had you here for a while. I want to compliment you uh, another time on the new album Cascade. I, one of the things I love about it is like the patterns was, it was heavier. 
Um, and when some of the singles came out, I was like, I was really interested in the direction and was curious as to how it was going to play out as a full length, but like a lot more like cleaner vocals, a lot of like poppier riffs. Yeah. And I've God, I'm eating it up, man. It's, I have this problem where I, I, I listen to like follow up albums, second or third albums. And I'm like, I'll do this thing where I'm like, uh, I don't think I like it as much. And I, I listen to it once and I don't really give it the, like the time of day that it deserves. And yep. then I realized like two or three years later that I really missed out because it was, it was great. Um, and, but something about like, it was like, it's this, it's for me, it's just like that right kind of shift where it's not a total divergence, but it, it's not just like doing this, the first album again this coming out with that yeah. second album is really hard like do we it do is, what we did is. again uh yeah. or do we do something really did like how it's such a hard it, it, you know i'm critiquing people coming out with second albums as though i'm a musician and i'm a totally <laughs> useless person when it comes to to music but i as just a general fan it it really i've listened to it dozens of times since it came out and i i the thanks your vocals on it are fucking phenomenal i Thank i you, really love what you did cheers yeah it was a you know big i guess direction shift in terms of just soundscape in general um so andrew writes the guitars the other andrew um and you know when he was first coming to me with some of the demos for it it was like oh i just was not ready to explore like i was angry i wanted to go heavier. really <laughs> yeah like in, in turn not angry at him i was lost my son and it's like man i've got i've got all this rage inside of me that needs to yeah out, right so it was like this really weird process of um initially is is this the outlet for that and then if if i decide that this is still the outlet for that then i guess what does that look like and that kind of i guess informed some of the songs in terms of um you know, looking at different stages of grief, because that's really what the album's trying to do um, loosely, mm-hmm. is look at the different stages of grief and obviously think, think thinking through, like as a, as a lyricist, like how do, I, how do I get people to connect with some of these themes that are very universal, but they haven't had the same experience that I've had. And I still want to be able to share some of my experience, but I need to be conscious that, you know, very few people are going to um, want to uh, necessarily maybe listen to a whole album of that and also mm. uh, wouldn't relate to it because it's not something that they've been through. Yeah. Well, it worked on me and that's why we're having this conversation. So <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. I don't know if I can uh, hold, I don't know when it, if I should be holding my breath for uh, some U.S. shows anytime in the future, but Hey, no, man, that's a complicated got... move. <laughs> if you've got not context. exactly close. <laughs> uh, yeah, if you've got contacts, let us know. That's <laughs> always always happy to play shows. Well, if I, I don't, hope you can you sleep somewhere. in my basement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you thought about doing the church show circuit? <laughs> yes, that, that was uh, that was always interesting. Hey, like it's like, how did this band actually get on this bill? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just start marketing yourself as a Christian band. Connect with the right people. We'll get, and you'll we'll get be all right. We'll get Cornerstone back up and running. Get you guys <laughs> at uh, Furnace Fest. Let's get you guys to Furnace Fest. <laughs> <laughs> That's where every, every, it's like, God damn. Furnace Fest is like heavy music lovers mecca at this point. Yeah. It's yeah. Metalcore <laughs> douche singularity. 
Yeah. <laughs> man. Well, Andrew, it's been a lot. Of, it's been great having you on, man. I really appreciate you joining us. Yeah, it's been fun. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Casey. Absolutely. Where can people find you guys? Yeah, we're on uh, Facebook. We're also on Instagram. Um, I think Instagram's Meliorist AU. And then on Spotify, iTunes, all of the streaming services, whatever your uh, preference. I don't know. That's like a thing I found out recently, right? Some people oh, like hard, hardcore iTunes, like Apple. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, yeah, I didn't realize that it was a, a preference over which streaming service you use. Yeah, it's kind of like I, these I, Neanderthals that have an Android phone. Oh, come on. <laughs> Most people, you mean? Fuck off. <laughs> As I wait for your little green bubble texts. Yeah, stop. <laughs> SMS texting, yeah, I'll concede, is trash on Android. That's why I stick to Instagram, but you don't check those messages like a child. So anyway, we don't need to get into this now. <laughs> Dude, thanks so much for... Uh, for joining us and uh thanks everybody for listening see you next time